It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with... Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, October 24th, 2016. Hello again, everyone. I'm Mario Hawani back inside our New York City studio. I hope you had a great weekend. I sure did. Lovely time of the year here in New York. Thank you once again for joining us on a Monday afternoon to talk about a little mixed martial arts. It was a relatively quiet one in the world of the UFC as far as this past weekend is concerned. A relatively quiet week, quiet little stretch. As far as MMA action is concerned, the UFC uh, is coming up in around two weeks. And I, I don't know I don't know if you're feeling the same way as me, but uh, this kind of feels like just what the doctor ordered. I mean, this is sort of like that sense of yearning that we don't get when you talk about the UFC schedule. This is sort of that separation anxiety that I think is good, that I think makes us think like, oh, when is the UFC coming back? Two straight weekends without an event? Oh, I kind of miss these guys, you know? November 5th, Ferguson RDA, November 12th, New York City. I have a chance to catch my breath. This is good. I can do something else on a Saturday night. Now, no shortage of MMA action. Uh, Bellator had an event in Memphis. That was pretty noteworthy, I thought. Um, Alexander Shlomenko looked fantastic in his return. Vicious body shot. The storm is back. Former Bellator middleweight champion defeated Kendall Grove. Uh, Bobby Lashley looked dominant once again. Unfortunately, no baby slice. Kevin Ferguson Jr., uh, his opponent, pulled out around... I don't know, 36 or so hours before the event because he was 17 pounds over craziness. But I thought it was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a solid broadcast. I had this debate between Chael Sonnen and Tito Ortiz. We'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, otherwise, as far as action was concerned, it was uh, a relatively quiet one. Uh, News-wise, well, the news never sleeps. A ton has been going on. The big news last week, as we continue to try to sift through this GSP situation. He was on the show uh, a week ago today talking about his contract situation. His his lawyer, James Quinn, who you learned about last week, has been doing some interviews, some bold words, a little bit of an update on GSP a little later on the show as well. Uh, Some fights were announced or reported yet to be announced, but I thought the big news uh, was was all the layoffs. Uh, the UFC letting go around 60 to 80 employees, uh, some very big names, some top-level executives, and this all a part of the new era that is coming into play with WMEIMG taking over, buying the UFC for around $4 billion back in July. The sale was official in August, and this was expected, uh, perhaps not in the way it went down, but uh, anytime a large corporation is going to buy another, uh, changes are going to happen. That is inevitable. Um, and, and I have some thoughts on the changes, the layoffs, how it went down, the future, and we'll get to those uh, a little later on in the program as well. Uh, no shortage of things to discuss, as always, on today's show. Let me run down today's lineup and get to our first guest of the day, who I'm really excited to talk to because... Uh, If you recall last week, I actually spoke of him a few times saying that the GSP situation, uh, very similar to his, which happened around nine years ago, amazingly, crazy how quickly time goes by. Um, At around 4.10 p.m., we are going to be joined by Matt the Immortal Brown. Uh, It was announced last week that Matt Brown will be facing Tarek Safadine at UFC 207. UFC 207 rapidly becoming 
a very, very, very solid show. We could say that about 205. We can say that about 207. Not so much about 206. 206 is struggling at the moment. Uh, it really is. I mean, 206 is one main event injury away from I don't even know what. And of course, they haven't filled out the card. I mean, if you just look at the lineup, but it's uh, it's a very it's a very interesting lineup for that Toronto card on December tenth. Two hundred seven though is uh, is is great. I mean, Ronda Rousey and Manda Nunez. We're expecting Cody Garbrandt and Dominic Cruz to be added to that one any minute now. Uh, and another one that was added last week: Matt Brown versus Tarek Safadine. 305, we'll take your questions and comments. 245, Michelle Watterson, who main events UFC on Fox 22 in Sacramento against Paige Van Zandt, will stop by the Karate Hottie, looking to make her long-awaited return to the UFC. She's only fought once, so looking forward to talking to her. Uriah Faber is in Mexico, I believe on vacation, but he is going to join us at 225 to talk about his upcoming fight with Brad Pickett, also on that Sacramento card. The aforementioned Kevin Ferguson Jr. will stop by at 2.05 to talk about, once again, his Bellator debut falling through. This time it wasn't his fault. His opponent, as I said at the top, was 17 pounds over, so they canceled it. Hopefully we'll see him, we'll see him in action sooner rather than later. Uh, 145, Marlon Moraes will stop by to talk about re-signing with WSOF, fighting on that NYC card, his new opponent, and more. 125, our own Mark Ramundi will stop by to talk about a lot of news uh, that he reported last week. Pat Lundvall leaving the NAC, uh, issues with the New York State Athletic Commission, and a whole lot more. But first, let us go to the Skype machine. Uh, excuse me, let me go to the phone lines, I should say, and welcome in uh, our first guest of the day. Very excited to talk to Randy Couture. I talked about him several times last week when we were sort of digesting the whole GSP situation, and there was no one else, uh, you know, more, more, you know, the, the sort, of, sort of closely related to that story than him. I, I really wanted to talk to him on today's show, so I'm very thankful that he is coming on to start the, the program today. Randy, are you there? I'm here. How's it going, Ariano? Uh, I'm doing great, Randy. Thank you very much for the time. Uh, first, before we talk to you about uh, the similarities between uh, your situation nine years ago, as amazing as that may seem, um, and GSPs, I uh, just want to quickly talk to you about your son, Ryan, who was in action on Friday. You were in his corner. Unfortunately, a tough night for him. Uh, suffered that submission loss. In your opinion, as his father and cornerman, what went wrong out there for Ryan? Uh, it's just, you know, one of those things. He got a little out of position. He he went to, uh, went for a, a seatbelt technique, tried to trap his bottom arm in, in the takedown transition, uh, missed the missed the trap, got his arm stuck underneath uh, uh, Yamauchi, and, and Yamauchi's you know as good a grappler as there is out there right now. And just he, he was quick and quick with his hips and caught Ryan out of position. So it happens. Ryan's you know his elbow popped a little, but he's not seriously injured at all probably uh more damage to to his ego than his body but uh you know it's 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 tough coming off the loss with the tricky we were we were hopeful this was a, a great style matchup for ryan and you know wanted to test himself against the top grappler and he just got out of position it happens how difficult is it for you as his father to corner ryan to be there i mean it's it's got to be difficult you know, just from a standpoint of you're cornering someone and you want them to win. But I, I can, I, I can't imagine, you know, being there with your son and the disappointment and all that. Do you, do you enjoy doing that or would you rather not? Uh, you know, it's something we've, we've been dealing with for a long time. Ryan started wrestling when he was 
nine years old. Uh, and wrestled all through junior high and high school. Uh, I used to get pretty nervous watching him wrestle. I was a little less part of the process when he was wrestling. He had coaches and was on teams. Now, uh, you know, him training at Extreme Couture, he started his fight career with us through the amateurs and, and now into the pros for 15 fights. Uh, I'm part of the process. I, I sit down with him. We watch video. We, well, I see the work uh, and the work ethic. I see the passion. Uh, I don't think you could ask for more from any athlete, let alone your son. So uh, I don't worry about him. I, I uh, certainly as a coach and, and someone who wants him, as you said, be successful, it, it's frustrating to have setbacks, but it, it's part of the game. And taking all that in stride and, and keeping it in perspective is, is a big piece of it. Uh, uh, so I don't mind it. I, I see uh, that Ryan is doing something he loves to do, and uh, I'm all for that. Well, certainly he is very lucky to have you uh, in his corner. Now, okay, w- one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to have you on was last week, GSP comes on my show, talks about his issues with the UFC contract that he has, declaring himself a free agent, and instantly I, I was reminded of your situation. Amazingly, that happened nine years ago. Could you believe that? I mean, that's just unbelievable. October 11, 2007 is when you put out that statement. We all know how the story turned out, but I'm wondering, when you heard about this story, were you... Were you reminded of, of your situation nine years ago? Was it sort of like the sense of deja vu? Did you see the similarities as well? Well, I certainly saw the similarities. And, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't have, uh, I'm not privy to, to George's contract or the language in George's contract, but I'm, I'm sure it's in, in many ways very similar to what I was dealing with back in 2007. And uh, maybe, unfortunately for George, uh, some of the issues that, that were pointed out in their contracts uh, back then that, that were the impetus for me declaring my free agency back then and trying to make that Fedor fight happen and, and you know, having injunctions file and spending a lot of money on attorneys and stuff all. A lot of those things were closed. They, they contracts to some extent to, to try and prevent athletes from doing what I then. Uh, but I'm honestly not, not sure what George's contract Generally, it's a you know a number of fights over a period of time, uh, kind of you know, whichever comes first. I'm sure there's a retirement clause in there, and how that's worded can determine. I, I didn't hear George say he was retiring. I heard him saying he was taking a hiatus from the right. sport, which is different than retirement. Uh, all those things factor into how uh, you know his, George's attorneys are interpreting the language, and then certainly how if they end up in litigation how a judge or a jury is going to, going to interpret uh, the language in the contract. Uh, but it's, it's definitely going to be an uphill climb. These guys have uh, controlled fighters and, and controlled this situation for a long, long time, uh, and they're good at it. Uh, so I think George is certainly going to be up against it. If George were to call you today and ask for your advice, since you probably know best what he is going through or about to go through, what advice would you give him? Would you say better not to go down this road, this legal road, better to try to figure this out? Or 2016, a very different climate than 2007, in your opinion? Well, I certainly think it's a different climate. Obviously, you're still dealing with Dana White, but WME is is another uh, another thing completely than than Zufa and the Fertitas. Uh, and I think that adds another layer to this whole thing. You know, George is represented by CAA. CAA and WME go way back as far as button heads and, 
and uh, kind of fighting over things. So I think that there's probably some of that going on here as well. Uh, I, I certainly hope that George is, is ready to, to spend a considerable amount of money and legal fees and, and all that to, to fight this battle. Uh, that's the first thing is that these guys are going to try and drag this out as long as they can drag this out and get George to spend as much money as, as they can possibly make him spend uh, in hopes to bleed him, to, to, to make him want to give up and and just give it up. Uh, I think uh, this is one more indication, in my opinion, that, that we as fighters need to come together, get behind the Fighters Association as, as you know, 1099 uh, employees, uh, we, we fit the Fighters Association model a lot better than a union or something like that. And, and as a united voice, I think we can come together and, and fight some of these things, get the OLLI Act amended to take away some of this power that the promoters have to force us to sign some of these very coercive, frankly, awful contracts uh, that are controlling, control rankings, control who gets title fights, when and where, uh, it's just there are things there that the boxers have been protected from through the Ali Act for a long time. So I think all those things are, are things that need to happen, and this is one more indication of why that is. You talk about you know the amount of money that George may have to spend. If you don't mind me asking, how much did you have to spend on your, your legal issue? How much did it cost you? Uh, it, it was more than $500,000 over the 13 months that, uh, that wow. I uh, fought, fought the company. Uh, both in Texas and Nevada, and, and uh, it was considerable. Uh, and at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was fight. Right. Uh, and, you know, at 44, it wasn't getting any younger. Uh, wanted to continue. He certainly made sense at that time to, to find a way to fight happen. And, you know, we were ranked number one and two in the world. Although we were different organizations, uh, we should have been able to make that fight happen. And uh, it would have been a huge fight. And, uh, you know, it didn't come to pass. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still I felt like I had competition that I wanted to, to, to get done and, and decided just to, to give it up, to hang it up, to not spend any more of my money uh, fighting the system that was in place. Are you surprised that nine years later, this issue still persists, that guys, I mean, it's, it's a different time. There are different issues at play with the sponsorship and whatnot, but Again, it, it very much reminds me of your situation. Are you surprised that the contracts haven't really evolved in almost a decade? No, I'm not surprised. I think until we as is our place, and I think the company selling for $4.4 billion was a big red flag. There's a lot of fighters that stood up and took notice as to what, what those guys made off of the, the sale of, of the brand that we've all been representing for a long, long time and recognized that you know, less than 10% of what they've been making, we've been we've been reaping as as the product, as the fighters that are stepping in that cage, uh, and that's just wrong. That equation is way out of whack. And I think until we, frankly, to come together and and use our voice uh, to fight these types of things, it's going to continue to happen. How confident are you that that's actually going to happen uh, this year, next year? As you know, you know, there's MMAFA. I know you've done some work with them spoken on behalf of them. Other groups have popped up, like the, the PFA. There's some dissension there, which I think is not good for anyone involved. Do you, do you feel like there can be a united front, given you know the discrepancy in pay from the top guys to the bottom guys, uh, the fact that this is an individual sport? I mean, are you confident that this can finally happen? I'm confident that it can happen, absolutely. And obviously, I've 
again, I think that the the MMAFA model, the, the Fighters Association, is is the right model for what we do, uh, and who we are as as independent contractors. Uh, I think obviously a, a huge step in the right direction is getting the Ali Act amended, um, and, and then that that levels the playing field uh, with, with federal legislation on on some some level. Uh, obviously, I think the Ali Act has to be adapted to fit mixed martial arts because there's still some differences between MMA and boxing and how it applies to both boxing and mixed martial arts. But I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction. And yeah, I, I think it can definitely happen, but it's going to take guys having the, the strength to backbone and get over their fear of the repercussions or potential repercussions with the with the promotions like WME and the UFC. Uh, you know, everybody's scared they're going to get dropped, they're going to get blackballed, they're, that they're uh, you know that they're going to be those kinds of repercussions. So they're not willing to to exercise their voice and come together. In a way, do you feel like this is the perfect time to come together because of the new management coming in, the new ownership? There's a state of transition. You can kind of hopefully start on the right foot with a, a new regime. I know there are still some, you know, same faces around, but this sort of feels like a good time to start fresh. Uh, is 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 that sentiment prevalent among those involved with the you know MMAFA or any other group? I think that. Uh that definitely is a factor. Uh, you know, WME deals, they're a talent agency. They're one of the biggest talent agencies in, in, in the world, frankly. And, and they deal with the actors and people who are part of the Screen Actors Guild, which is a very similar thing that, that the MMAFA would be. And so they're used to, or Zufa, the Fertitas, and, and Dana White didn't and don't want to deal with, with unions or, or associations like that. They've, they've um, been kind of against that sort of thing uh, in, in some of their other other businesses all along. So I think all those things lend themselves to my belief that we, if we come together as fighters, uh, can, can level the playing field and get a fair, a much fairer shake than we've been getting for a long time. For those that may not remember, you know, ultimately, why did you end your legal battle with the UFC and come back to fight Brock Lesnar? Was it because the Brock Lesnar fight was that intriguing? Was it because they, you know, extended an olive branch? You didn't want to pay any more in legal fees. What was that sort of nail in the coffin as far as ending it? Well, I think all those things. Okay. Uh, I think I'd, I'd spent 13 months not competing at, at 44 years old. The clock was ticking. Spent more than $500,000 of my own money to try and fight, uh, station over my interpretation of the language in the contract. Uh, it, it just, to continue for who knows how much long get a ruling and be able to go one way or the other. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, I, I wanted to compete. I, I want to fight. I'm a fighter. When you, when you, when you hear GSP, Anderson Silva, Jose Aldo, Khabib Nurmagomedov, I mean, we've never seen this kind of public dissension from top UFC stars. What do you think? Do you think to yourself like, Hey guys, you, you, you know, this is your fault. You signed these contracts. You should have looked at history. H- how do you react when you, I mean, 2016 has been sort of unfathomable when, when talking about all these, you know, massive stars speaking up finally, how does Randy Couture take that in? Well, their fault. I don't think it's their fault. Uh, the organization has, has ruled with an iron fist, uh, I'm I'm an example of somebody that they've tried to black out. They've tried to to 
and, and and that's because of my stance with them almost from the very start over ancillary rights and the language in the contracts that they were trying to make me sign. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they've still been the number one promotion in the sport. Now the other promotions like the world series of fighting and Bellator have made up a lot of ground because of things like the uniforms and the implementation of USADA without any, any athlete's voice involved in that process. Some of the things that, that, that promotion is doing has allowed some of these other promotions to get traction. They've got good people behind them at, at you know, NBC and, and with Viacom and, and the other places that, that they're showing our sport. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the gold standard, if you will, has, has been with the UFC. It's synonymous with the sport in a lot of ways. So a lot of people aspire and want to fight in that organization. Well, if they want to fight in that organization, they're going to have to sign that contract right. uh, as bad as that contract is. How often, if ever, do fighters reach out to you for advice? I get it here and there. You know, people uh, at various levels, obviously, as Extreme Couture, work with a lot of different fighters. And, you know, I, I tried not to let our relationship with the company bleed over and affect the athletes that... Uh, that train at my gym. Uh, but unfortunately I think that that's still been the case in certain circumstances, certainly with my son, Ryan, I think they, they exercised their power and used, uh, my son, Ryan, and as a fighter, uh, as a, as a way and, and to poke at me. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Ryan and I communicated about it from the start on a regular basis. And, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Now he's with Bellator. I'm happy he's there. They take care of him. I get to, to corner him and, and be, again, be back in part of the process for him, which was taken away, uh, you know, by, by the, by the other company. So. Do you think eventually we might see top stars just start their own promotions? Like, you know, a Mayweather promotions, you know, this has been brought up in the, in the past, you know, why can't someone just do their own thing? I know we, 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 we don't really take into account how much that costs, but do you, do you foresee this dissension leading to a more boxing style sport in terms of the way the promotions are built? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's going to happen right now until uh, fighters start making a, a lot more money off of the, out of their fight careers. The, the amount of money that it takes to, to run a promotion is pretty significant. A guy like Mayweather, who's making $40 million a fight, can, can afford to, to spend some of that money in an endeavor like that. Uh, but I don't think any, any of the MMA fighters, even the ones at the top of the, of the rung, are, are wanting to or, or probably willing to spend uh, their hard-earned money uh, and try and get a promotion off the ground. It just doesn't make sense. I ran a promotion with Dan Henderson and Matt Lennon for a while up in Oregon, a professional and amateur show called Sport Fight, and it's a lot of work, especially as athletes who were still competing uh, to, to connect all the dots and, and get everything done and make it viable and build a brand and and all those things. So uh, get exposure in, in the market. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of things that go into that. And of course, um, we, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't know if I had anything else to add other than, okay. I just think there's considerable, considerable difference between boxing and, and mixed martial arts, certainly in, in regard to what boxers are, are able to make and what the top mixed martial arts. And we can't forget that Mark Cuban also tried to help out and, and, and probably spent a lot of money. Do you have any idea how much money he spent on trying to put together that Fedor fight? 
Uh, I'm not sure what, what Mark uh, ended up spending, but he was certainly part of the process uh, with creating an, a venue and, and negotiating with Fedor to try and find a place for that. And obviously that served what he was doing at that time. He had, you know, in the American Airlines arena down in Dallas, his own shows that he was putting on HD net at that time. So it was creating content or potential content for, for him and his network. And, uh, and he would have potentially been largely responsible for helping put together one of the biggest fights of that time in yeah. 2007, 2008. So I think, you know, it was, it was money that he was willing to risk and, and spend to, to make that happen. Uh, and frankly, I don't think he was very happy when, when I didn't want to spend any more of my own money, uh, to, to, to fight that fight. Uh, was frankly, I, I don't have nearly as deep a pockets as he does. Right. Um, yeah. Wow. What, what a fascinating time that was. If I can, um, before I let you go, uh, ask you to look into your crystal ball and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but what do you think happens with GSP? Just given your insight, I know you don't, you, you don't have that information in the contract. You're not privy to that, but you know, what does your gut say? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, if he moves forward as a free agent and tries to make the fight that he wants to happen, happen somewhere else, there'll be injunctions filed. And then there'll be a time period where there'll be, you know, they'll be interviewing everybody from everybody. There's this time process to see any of that come before a judge and, and get ruled on. And, and then just like in the situation, was in, how long is he going to want to wait? How long is he going to, you know, he's been out for a little while now and not competed. How long is it that he wants to wait? How much money is that going to cost him uh, to, to continue to fight that battle when, when he's unable to fight or compete or make, make any money anywhere else? Uh, questions. Uh, and then what's the likelihood? What if they rule all of that and, and then they rule that, that the contract you know, is still in force and he still owes fights to, to WME and, and the UFC? Now he's back to renegotiating and trying to make the fights happen that he wants to happen with that organization after all of that. What's your guess as far as when an association will be formed, realistically, a powerful uh, one? The, the association is, is there now. The uh, MMAFA, you can get on the WhatsApp and get on the thread. There's, there's going on 200 athletes on there communicating on a regular basis. Oh, wow. Uh, about the uh, MMAFA and all the things. And, and basically there's an education process uh, just like there was when we were teaching people what our sport was about and that we weren't crazy thugs and criminals. We're just martial artists that want to be professional athletes. So uh, I think the same thing is true uh, about what we're doing as athletes now, educating ourselves about what, what the difference is between a union and a fighters association. How does that affect us as 1099 independent contractors. Uh, what does the Ali Act do for us? There, there's been an education process for all of us as fighters. This for, you know, 10 years, I've been hearing this talk. I've been involved in trying to see us come together as fighters and unite our voice for, for quite a while now. And, and I feel like the best shot we have right now is the MMAFA. Okay. And by the way, I wasn't trying to put down the MMAFA. I, I meant more of having, you know, a promoter like the UFC recognize the association so that you guys can actually go in and do what you want to do. You know what I mean? I, I know obviously that they've been. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I didn't feel like you were trying to, to, to put us down. I, I think it was an honest question. And, and again, I, I think, uh, you know, there, there, you know, have been promotions out there. I, I don't think that 
World Series of Fighting or, or Bellator or against us forming a, a fighters association. In fact, I've, I've heard Scott Coker in interviews talk about the Ali Act and talk about the need for or potential need for a fighters association. Uh, I don't think he thinks those are unreasonable things. So uh, uh, I think, you know, it's going to take some more time. I think we're going to continue to educate fighters. I think fighters are fed up with we're kind of taking it in the shorts, frankly, and, and are, we're starting to come together and, and realize we have power, and uh, only if we stay united. By the way, when was the last time Scott Coker asked you to fight for him, and did you consider it? <laughs> I feel like it was well, like last he week. He never really directly asked me to fight for him. Obviously, uh, when Fedor threw his hat back in the ring and came out of retirement, my phone went off, yeah. and uh, I happened to brand ambassador work uh, for a fight at the Mohegan Sun with Scott Coker in New York City doing a bunch of interviews and just about to an interview, every single one asked me about coming out, if I was going to come out, if I was going to come back and, and try to fight Fedor now. And so uh, I think it was, you know, he, he was he was just sitting there smiling. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think he understood where I was at and why that just didn't make a lot of sense to me at, at 52 years old. If anyone can do it, you can. But I figure Scott would at some point throw that out there, being the the guy that he is, knowing the way his mind works. But uh, I respect you nonetheless for for knowing when to say when. That's obviously a very important part of this game as well. Uh, An honor as always. Thank you so much for the insight, Randy. Really appreciate you coming on and talking about this and sort of going down memory lane. I know it wasn't a a highlight of your career, but a very important part. And it's amazing that nine years later, there's still very much a clear, you know, a clear link between the two stories. So I appreciate it greatly. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. There he is. The natural Randy Couture. Remember that? Remember when he put out that press release? I think it was uh, the Fight Network that first got it, Loretta Hunt, and then he had that press conference. Uh, Just a fascinating time. In fact, that was the very beginning of my uh, MMA journalism career. I think it was October 19th, 2007, when I launched um, jerrypark.com, my own website, and Randy's initial press release saying that he was swimming upstream, that he was going to no longer fight for the UFC was October 11, 2007. So uh, a fascinating way to get into this board. Now, here we are nine years later, still talking about this sort of thing. Um, all right, let's bring in our own Mark Ramundi, who's joining us via the Magic of Skype. Come on, Mark. I mean, really, you're going to do this to me? Unbelievable. Mark uh, trolling me, as the kids like to say. You want his... Verdum? <laughs> you got Verdum. <laughs> Who? I'm not familiar with him. Um, thank you for joining us, Mark. I appreciate it. Good morning. Is, it, it feels like you're joining us from uh, Kabul or something. There's like a five-second delay. Really? Yes. Usually my Skype is on point. Yeah, it feels like you haven't uh, paid your your bill. Late. What is going on? Why is there such a delay here? It's very strange. Do you guys see this? Do you guys feel this? Do you hear this? Maybe let's reconnect with you because it's... First of all, I'm hearing myself. Maybe put the volume down. Now speak. Now speak. No. All right. How's this? Any better? Hello? Okay, that's better. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us. Good to have you on. Don't look so confused. Te- technical difficulties happen sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. What, what's your take? Maybe I need the Verdun mask. But... <laughs> Maybe you screwed up the whole thing with that mask. Um, what's your take on this whole GSP situation? Hearing from Randy, hearing from GSP last week, uh, hearing from James Quinn, GSP's lawyer last week talking to our own Sean Al Shadi and others. How do you how do you think it all plays out? 
you know, it's funny. I was reading the quotes that, that Sean got from James Quinn, GSP's lawyer last week, and they almost mirror word for word what Jeff Boris, the, the head of the Professional Fighters Association, was saying about when he saw UFC contracts back in, I guess, earlier this year before the, the, the first McGregor-Diaz fight. Almost, the, almost word for word, the exact same things he was saying about them being contracts from the past, you know, being almost like a form of slavery, that kind of stuff. It was very weird to see two people who don't know each other say almost the exact same thing about UFC contracts. I think that this is a situation that will will need to change eventually. I just don't know how it gets there. You know, I think that we're at point A. Point B is a, a little bit more of an even playing field between the promoter and fighters. I just don't know what's in between. I don't know what, what that path is. I think that the PFA is onto something. I think the MMAFA is onto something. I think that fighters need to decide what they want to do and they need to unify in some way, shape, or form. I don't see it happening right now, honestly. I see a lot of skepticism among fighters. Um, some of them are all for it. Some of them don't know, don't, don't trust. And, so, and a lot of them really fear because, you know, this is their livelihood and they don't know if they want to get in bed with certain groups and go against their, you know, their employer, the people who, who sign their paychecks, which sure. I understand too. Yeah. So yeah. I think that eventually something will happen in every other sport, it was it was a process. It took many many years. I think that'll be the same thing here. I don't think that this is something that's going to happen overnight. I know that you know the PFA kind of came out uh, this summer and, and they were uh, you know guns blazing. But I think this is something that's going to take a very long time. It's not going to just be a snap of the fingers and all of a sudden, hey, we have a, a fighters union. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Yeah, I mentioned this uh, on the MMA beat. It's always fascinating to see someone who's not an MMA person who's obviously very well educated. Perhaps, you know, a lawyer, someone like that, learn about MMA, learn about MMA contracts and just be flabbergasted about what goes on and the stuff that the the fighters sign. I think that the deadline is the new TV deal. I think, you know, after we saw what happened in the NBA this summer and how other athletes and other sports get a cut of TV deals, I think that the TV deal in America, which is up in two years, should be their deadline. They need to have something in place, a unified front, some sort of collective bargaining in place before that big next TV deal is signed. Um, my, my one little quick update is, you know, these reports and MMA Junkie reported it. I mean, there's no coincidence. You can kind of make it out for yourself why GSP was in Las Vegas. So I, I wouldn't, last week, uh, there was a report that came out that he was in Vegas last week. We all know why. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Toronto to bed. I wouldn't say that, you know, it's it's not going to happen. The clock is certainly ticking on Toronto. I know there's this boycott out, which I don't think is going to get very far. But you look at that Toronto card. I mean, do you agree with me? It's, it's and, and I'm knocking on wood, but it's one main event injury away from, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's it's severely lacking right now. I think they were they were probably thinking that GSP was in. I think yeah. they were probably yeah. banking on him being in that spot. And now... Uh, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I heard I heard something, uh, some rumors today. Bisping possibly. He he kind of shot that down last week that he could be fighting on that card. He has the medical suspension. Have you heard anything about about Bisping fighting on that card? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, try not to turn the tables on me on my own show here. My, I mean, I ask the questions here, Mark. But uh, look, I'll say this about yes, yeah, no, I know, I appreciate that. You see, you're so you're so good at just steering the ship. You know, whether it's pilot, co-pilot. Um, you know, as well as anyone, those medical suspensions are just sort of, you know, suggestions. Yeah. There's a very easy way to get around those. Um, 
we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not ready to put you know the final nail in the GSP fighting in Toronto coffin, but uh, certainly I mean, look, Brock Lesnar was announced a month before 200, so we're not quite a month out. Uh, so crazier things have happened. Um, I, I do believe, and I hope everyone agrees at this point, the guy wants to fight. I mean, anyone claiming that he doesn't want to fight. Uh, you're, you're just, you're, you're sorely mistaken. The guy wants to fight. So let's see what happens. Um, I want to ask you about a couple of things. One more thing yes. about the, uh, the yes. union situation. Just last week, the, the NBA players Association yes. and the NBA yes. owners came to an agreement that the players would get 51% of revenues. That was, that was about how it, how it, uh, it came about 51% of revenues sharing with the owners. Obviously we know that UFC fighters make considerably yes. less than yes. that. Fifty-one percent is a nice, nice little chunk. You know, they're obviously getting a, a portion of the the broadcast rights, which is a lot of money, as you mentioned. So, something like that. You know, it may not be fifty-one percent for UFC fighters in in a few years, but it could get incrementally closer, at least. Absolutely, uh, I think we all want to see that. Uh, you reported on Saturday that the great Pat Lundvall is leaving the Nevada Athletic Commission. Why now? Good question. And a lot of people have assumed <laughs> it's because of Conor McGregor saying he doesn't want to fight in Nevada for the foreseeable future. I did ask about that a number of people, and they, they discouraged that kind of talk. They said that's not actually the case. Apparently, the, the governor, uh, Governor Sandoval of Nevada, wants to limit these appointments to only two terms. And this, this is actually Pat Lumball's third term as a commissioner on the Athletic Commission. So I think that that's what's going to happen. I think that you'll see that more and more with the commissioners. They're only going to serve two terms instead of longer than that. I mean, Pat Lumball has been on the commission for nine years. So I, I, that's what I was told. Again, the the timing is quite conspicuous, yeah. right? It, yeah. it is it is a bit of a coincidence that just two weeks ago, Conor McGregor says, I'm not fighting in Nevada. And now we find out that Pat Lumball is leaving. And Pat Lumball is like the, she's like the prosecutor up there, uh, you know, for the commission. She's really the, the one who plays hardball the most. Um, with with the fighters and, and with uh, the athletes, so it is a bit of a coincidence. I would not say for sure that there is no direct link there, but I've been told otherwise that it's actually just the governor wanting to limit terms for for commissioners and other boards in, in the state. She's like the Michael Bloomberg of the Nevada Athletic Commission. Like she's got to go for a third term and uh, rewrite history. Can you explain to me what Bob Bennett was telling you when he was saying that the media didn't get it when reporting? his punishment, the $150,000 fine. I mean, what exactly does Connor have to, to pay? And is this spin on his part? Did we get it? And they tried to sort of fix it after the fact? So this is what, this is their side. Okay. So the commission is saying that when they threw out the $150,000 number, that was including the value of the public service announcement. So they were only going to find, actually just to, only directly fine McGregor $75,000, and they estimated that the PSA would be a value of about $75,000 as well. So they lumped it all together as one lump sum. But he only has to write a check for seventy-five dollars to the commission. That's what, that's what their side of the story is, and that it was misinterpreted by the media and by others and by maybe even McGregor and Dana White, that it was actually that number that he has to pay. But when it's not, it's only half that number. Uh, if you're asking me if that's spin or what have you, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I listened back to the hearing. I listened to it over again, and I kind of heard I kind of heard both things. Like it, uh, one, I think maybe they were even confused at the time about, about what they were what they were voting for. At one point, I think Pat Lumball did say that you know the the value of the PSA was was included in there, and then someone else said it, it wasn't. 
it's all very confusing, but I will tell you that what we do know is that McGregor only owes the commission $75,000. Other than that, I can't tell you for sure what the right. heck is going on over there. What a mess. Um, and, and the next hearing is November 10th. That's a big day for John Jones. He has his USADA arbitration uh, a week from today. And I think it was important for him to get that out of the way first to try to, I mean, I think he's pretty confident that he's not going to get as stiff of a penalty from USADA. Hopefully they can set the precedent, but we all know that the NAC is, uh, you know, they, they are an entity that plays by their own rules. Will Pat Lundvall be involved in that November 10th hearing or will she be gone by then? October 31st is her last day. Wow, huge. Uh, speaking of commission stuff. It'll be, it'll be Jones, Nate Diaz, and probably Brock Lesnar all on November 10th. Yes, can't wait for that. Two days before UFC 205, how about that? Um, speaking of commission stuff and 205, fantastic piece of reporting on your part about the New York State Athletic Commission. For those that may have missed it, and I do urge them to go back, uh, yesterday morning it was posted, your weekly click debate article, I do urge you 100% to read this, but for those that missed it, what, what are the issues right now plaguing that commission? <laughs> I'm not sure if we have time to discuss that on, on the show. I mean, it's unbelievable. They, 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 okay, so pretty much the, the, the main thing going on with the, 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 the NISAC, the, the, the really the, the big cog in the wheel, the elephant in the room, is that lawsuit against them from the 2013 boxing match with the, the Dagestani fighter, Magomed, Abdul Salam, Salamov, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that the correct way, but he, he basically they found a, a state inspector general investigation found that NISAC was culpable or at least they, they were negligent in how they handled him post-fight. He was, he was beaten in the fight, he was injured, and the, the doctors there pretty much rubber-stamped it and said, oh yeah, you may have an, an orbital fracture, just go to the doctor when you get home uh, next week in, in Florida. When really it was much worse than that. He had bleeding on the brain. He actually had to take a cab to the hospital. They didn't put him in an ambulance because they just rubber stamped it. They said, oh, yeah, you're fine, essentially. And he had to take a cab to the hospital, went to the hospital, had bleeding on the brain, was in a coma for a, a long time, was in the hospital for 10 months, and is still dis- he's disabled. He, I mean, frankly, he's disabled. He's going through a rehabilitation process. He has a lot of uh, neurological deficits. He's in, he's in bad shape. So he's being, the, the, the commission is being sued for that. Before that and during that and, and after that, there was, there was an, uh, an inspector general from the state investigation into the commission. And that investigation was made public over the summer. And it just, it was a laundry list of issues that they have. Uh, pretty much the, the, the regime that was there resigned after the investigation came out. Tom Hoover was the chairman. David Berlin was actually asked to step down. He was actually a bit of a whistleblower. He, he contributed to the investigation, and he kind of blew the whistle on some of his colleagues. He was the executive director. He, he stepped down before the investigation even came out because they, they asked him to step down because there was too much turmoil, something like that. It's a really, really confusing situation. On top of that, there is, a, there is no other commission that has this. There's a $1 million insurance policy for brain injuries that promoters have to take out. Every single pro fight card that happens in boxing and MMA in New York. Now that has kept boxing out. There has not been boxing in New York since before September first, when this policy went into effect. There, there uh, right now, there is no actual cost figure for promoters because no insurance companies actually underwrote this this insurance policy yet. I mean, it's it's an unprecedented thing—a one million dollar per fighter per fighter 
So if there's 24 fighters on the card, you're, you're paying $24 million. No, it's, it's, a, it's $1 million. That's how much the insurance policy will be worth if they, get, if they will get uh, ah, okay. in, injuries to their brains later on. Gotcha. In, you know, gotcha. after the fight, because of the fight. There is no, we don't know how much that will actually cost the promoter yet because no insurance company has actually said they would sell us yet. Yeah. Right now, the, the, the NISAC is working with insurance companies trying to see which ones will actually sell this kind of insurance because it's unprecedented. That has not been approved yet. You know, we're only a few weeks now out of UFC 205, and they still don't have an insurance company or two insurance companies that will sign off. There are, there are two, AIG being one, that have, that have said they would sell it, and they have filed for approval. Wow. That process wow. Is, still, is still uh, going down. But the issue here is that mid to, to, to small level MMA and boxing promoters are mm. going to have a hard time running shows in New York at that cost. I spoke to, to Rob Haydack, who is the president of Alliance MMA, this, this new body that, that uh, that's, uh, has gone public and, they, and they've joined up with, uh, with uh, promotions across the, the country and they're going to be, be like a, a feeder system for MMA, which is a great idea. He was telling me that he expects that to run a show in New York will be four or five times the amount of, of running a show in New Jersey where, where he runs uh, CFFC and other places. I mean, four or five times, that's an incredible amount of money. These promoters, and you know this as well as I do, these, these regional-level promoters don't make that much money, if, if at all. A lot of them take a bath on these shows. So to have it cost four to five times more is insane. And boxing has taken a huge hit because boxing ran in New York all the, you know, for, for decades, for, for a century, without this provision. And now they have to, now they have to uh, take out this insurance policy. And boxing is leaving. I mean, the, Danny Jacobs fought last, last mm. month in Reading, Pennsylvania. It should, the card should have been in Barclays Center in Brooklyn, his hometown. That stuff is moving out of New York because they're afraid of this insurance policy. Joe DeGuardia and Lou DiBella, two of the, the well-known boxing promoters, have said that boxing is basically ceasing to exist in New York uh, because, because of this issue. So it's just a, a mess right now, and, and maybe it'll change in, in the future. We don't know, but, but right now it's going to be very hard for, for the smaller-level boxing and MMA promoters to, to run shows in the state. Do you foresee it changing? Like, is there pressure to change it, or is it going to remain this way for at least, you know, the foreseeable future? They, they doubled down. They doubled down just a few weeks ago. Last month, they doubled down and, and approved it. I mean, it was, it was wow. part of the original bill when, when, when we watched the crazy hearing in, in April, the, 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 uh, the, the House. February. The Assembly. It was part of that bill, and, and they actually, the commission doubled down on it and said, yeah, we're going to move forward with this provision last month. So, they, I mean, it's not going to change anytime soon. Maybe there is some hope that once MMA kind of gets off, gets off the ground and, and the ball starts rolling, that they'll see that it isn't quite, maybe quite as bad as they think it is. Basically, what critics are saying is that this is a provision that doesn't really help the athlete. It helps the athlete after the fact. Yeah. If they do indeed get these, these brain injuries. But it doesn't help them on the front end where it doesn't, it doesn't help them not get any kind of brain injury. And that's the big criticism. It, it protects the commission and the promoters later on if, if an athlete does get injured. But it doesn't actually help an athlete or prevent them from getting injured in the first place. Uh, and, and, and obviously, you know, because of the investigation, the, the commission in New York has shown some negligence in, in that regard. So it's a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a mess right now. Always, uh, always an interesting time. Never dull 
in New York State. Um, one last quick thing before I let you go, and great stuff there, great reporting. Again, I do urge you to check out that article that Mark wrote um, Sunday morning it was posted on MMAfighting.com. Do you agree with my spiel at the top of the show that there's this sense of yearning for UFC action, like the two weeks off, another weekend off? Like, this is good for the soul, right? It's nice to miss the UFC. It's nice to have that separation anxiety, right? Right, 100% agree. No yeah, doubt about it. yeah. This is it's just a little weird having just, having free Saturday nights. I know. I'm not gonna lie to you, but uh, I actually have a social life in, in in some cases. Shocking! You found it. I did. I found it after all these years. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of a break once in a while. Having a UFC card ever there was there was that one stretch just last month where it was just yeah. Like, yeah. what five weeks in a row of UFC and it's just it's just draining. You know, they were a lot of them were fight night cards. FS1 cards, which can drag because of the commercials, sure. because of the scheduling. Yeah, it's 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 not a bad thing to to uh, absence makes the the heart grow fonder. Very well said, Mark. Very well said. And I know they didn't draw it up this way necessarily. I know the Manila card was canceled, then the two weeks off. But I think it's perfect going into that New York card to have people sort of foaming at the mouth for the UFC, Absolutely. longing for it, missing it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Great stuff, Mark. Appreciate it as always. Again, read that story on MMAfighting.com. The two stories that we talked about, the Pat Lumval one and the one about the NISAC, as Mark put it. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, there he is, Mark Ramundi of MMAfighting.com, one of the very best in the business. And you saw why right there. Okay, speaking of the New York State Athletic Commission, uh, the second major promotion to hold an event in New York City will be World Series of Fighting. That will be December 31st at the theater at Madison Square Garden, New Year's Eve. Four title fights. They just announced the fourth. David Branch is fighting on the card, too, against Luis Taylor. One of the big names on the card is Marlon Moraes, one of the very best bantamweights in the world. He joins us now via the Magic of Skype. There he is, the 135-pound champion for World Series of Fighting, Marlon Moraes, on the show right now. Marlon, how are you? I'm very good, man, and happy to have a date to perform you know yeah and it's such a great platform like uh new york city you know be fighting near home uh big stage you know madison square i know it's in a theater but we're gonna be on nbc and man i'm very happy now Okay, so there's a lot to talk to you about, Marlon, because the last time we saw you in action was end of July. Uh, much publicized that that was the last fight on your World Series of Fighting contract. Now, here you are back defending your title. Ultimately, why did you decide to return to WSOF? Man, you have to understand, uh, I have a very good relationship with the World Series. And Uncle Bruce knows me, you know, he knows my wife, he knows her name, he knows my son, he knows my son's name. And it's kind of hard when somebody takes you for a dinner, give you a, 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 a truly hug, you know, and keep explaining to you. He knows me, you know. He took me for a nice steakhouse. He <laughs> knows my favorite food. And, man, the meat keep coming, you know. I was eating very well. And, man, he knows me, you know. He understands about my life. And, and I, I, I like the idea. And he make an offer that I couldn't refuse, you know. And I have a family. I have a, a, a beautiful wife and a beautiful, beautiful son. I love to perform. He showed me the platform, uh, the channel, channel 4, NBC, and such a great promotion, man. I, I fight for, for, for me, you know. We are, we are the best promotions in the world, you know. And, man, I, I couldn't refuse, you know. And I felt like, man, I got, I got to do this, you know. And I talked to my family with my coaches and, and my, my, especially 
my wife, you know, and, and that, that was the decision, you know, keep fighting for the World Series of Fighting, keep performing, and fight everybody, you know, because in a World Series, uh, I can fight anybody, I can fight people from, like, everywhere in the world, mm. and people that we don't know, in the UFC, they know who they're gonna fight, they know who's doing well, the champions worry about this guy, about that guy, Man, I, I'm in a tough spot, you know. Can come guys from everywhere, you know, guys that we never know and guys that, that do great, you know, guys that have, like, great records. And, and this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to fight with the best. And I, I'm not going to choose opponents. I, I just want to be on the big stage and I want to perform. Who is this Uncle Bruce that you speak of, by the way? Uncle Bruce is is uh, one of the owners, you know, the, the World Series of Fighting and Man, he's, he's an awesome guy, you know. He he knows me, you know. It, it's kind of hard when you have a relationship like that with a person, you know. Yeah. And he know he knows my family, you know. And, and I was very very grateful to have him in my life and, and and see how he cares about me and my son, especially my son. Huh. Did did you or your management speak to other promotions? Did you did you field offers from other people? We kind of felt outside, you know, but. Man, the World Series of Fighting did something for me that I couldn't refuse, you know, and, and that's it. Hmm. Um, can you tell us how long of a deal you signed for? Like, how many fights? Man, it's it's such a great deal. Oh. And uh, you you guys got to talk with my manager. My <laughs> manager will let you know, and he will explain you why, you know. And it's it's something like like lifetime, you know. I'm I'm very happy and okay. I, I'm very grateful, man, for what they done for me. So, is it fair to say that you are content with ending your career with World Series of Fighting? Like you are happy there. That's your home. You don't want to think about it anywhere else. Yeah, I I kind of feel like I hang with the best. You know, I I feel like I'm the best right now. Like, of course, you you can say five good names. You know, the top of the rankings, the other promotion champions. But I'm in a good spot, man. And they're gonna keep fighting good, good opponents, man. They, they, they are, they are happy with me as a champion. But man, would it be bad, you know, if somebody coming in, you know, do great, you know, people wants to see good fights. And man, right now, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm able to prove where I belong in, in a World Series, you know. Was, was there any part of you who said, man, I, I, I just want to fight Dominic Cruz so I can beat him? And there's no question in anyone's mind, I could be the king of all kings. That's what I want. Was there a part of you that felt like you needed to do that? Or do you think that people already consider you one of the best, so it's not necessary? Yeah, I, I, I think he's a great fighter. Like his contender, Cody Garbrandt, like John Lineker, like all those guys, man. They're all tough guys, but it's just a matter of a day. You know, I know... Uh, if I fight those guys three times, maybe I can beat them one. I can beat two. You know, it's 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 close fight. I know I know I'm as as good as they are. You know, so it, man, I, I'm happy right now, and and I think a lot of people know who I am and what I can do. Um, does being a father and a husband change the way you make your decisions as opposed to maybe you're in the same situation 10 years ago and maybe your ego is the most important thing and you say, oh, I want to just be the best, I'll go fight anywhere. But now that you're a father and a husband, you have to think about finances, security, being comfortable. Do you feel like that changes the way you think now? I could, I could say a little bit, but I have a great team, man. Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida, they like my friends, you know. They're not just a coach for me. Frankie also had some Barbosa, and I spoke with all of these guys. I spoke with Eddie, and man, everybody, everybody 
stick to my side and everybody gave their opinion, you know, and that, that was very important. Mm. And I think I, I have major support from everybody to, to still be fighting for the World Series of Fighting, you know. And like like you see, man, you see Eddie, Eddie went right there and he, he finished Rafael in the first first round. Yeah. And he was the Bellator champion, you know. And can I do that? You know, <laughs> that's well. the question. Contractually, you can't, but do you, do you dream of a day where you can do that, where you can actually go and fight other champions? Do you think this time will ever come? I think it's a, it's a matter of time, you know? It's a matter of time. We, we, we don't know if I'm going to have to go out there or we're going to have... I don't know. Things things might change, you know? Uh, the All promotions, now the MMA, it's it's kind of living a, a different, different time, you know? We don't know what's going to happen out there. We don't know what's going to happen out here. We don't know... What's going to happen with all the promotions? A lot of changes are happening right now. And I feel like I'm in a very comfortable position and I'm able to to perform. And, man, I, I'm living my dream. I'm going to do what I love in New York City, man. Yeah. 31st, December 31st. <laughs> December I'm used 31st. To watch, I'm used to watch Vanderlei Silva fight December 31st cards <laughs> in, in Japan as a kid sitting on the couch. Now I'm there, you know, and this is a kid kids dream becoming reality you know yeah well congratulations um and that of course is on nbc big nbc not nbcsn they announced today that you're fighting someone named jose jose naldo silva which at first i was like is this a mix between jose aldo and anderson silva i couldn't uh i i have to admit i've never heard of jose naldo silva did you ever hear of him before you were uh approached with this fight yeah, he's just the number one fighter in Brazil at one one hundred thirty five pounds. Okay, and I watch a lot of Brazil Brazilian promotions fights, you know, on the Canal Combate. And man, this guy is not joke, you know. Yeah, he's a great fighter, and I think they they couldn't find a better opponent for me. And this guy's eighteen and all his last how how many fights did Corey oh, Garber got? <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. Then, is yeah. that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'm fighting a guy, he's 18 and no, his last 18 fights. But the level of competition, not the same, right? I mean, do you know all the fighters that he's fighting? Yeah, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Uh, we don't know. It's a matter of opportunity. A lot of people get that opportunity early. A lot of people get that opportunity late, you know? And I'm an example. I try out for the UFC and I got no. I said They said no to me, you know? And I, I could be good or not, you know? Now I'm here. So we don't know. We never put that guy right there, you know. Sure. But I know he's a very good fighter, and I I know he can he can do well. I was just joking about the ten and zero and eight. No, no, no. It's okay. I like that. I like that. But it, it's, it's definitely a, a a huge number, you know. Totally. He hasn't lost since two thousand eleven. An unbelievable streak. By the way, when did you try out for the UFC? What year was that? I think two thousand twelve. The first se- you know the year the first season of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that 45 was, I tried yeah. out for the 45 and they said they no didn't like yeah they like me as a fighter but they said oh I don't I don't I don't think they like me as a person you know I, I think I'm not cool I think I'm not cool enough man to be there you know screw those guys so now I support you not resigning or signing with them you know they didn't want you they can't get you now that you're a star I guess I guess you have to you have to have a big green hair beard you know yeah. uh, curse smoke cigarettes I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm finding cool. <laughs> that I didn't get my opportunity, my opportunity because of that. You know. Well, it all worked out for you. 
That's for sure. Is it frustrating? Like, do you feel like you're in a tough spot where you have to tell people what you just told me? Like, this guy's tough. He hasn't lost in 18 fights. He hasn't lost. So everyone kind of expects you to win because you're fighting someone who's not known in America. Do you feel like that's a tough spot for you as opposed to saying, oh, some name that everyone knows? Yeah. That is tough, right? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because uh, I need to fight the guy. I need to beat the guy. And people (laughs) ask me, and I still need to say he's good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different than uh, a good, a good, a big name, you know, yeah. like, uh, uh, like I would say a TV name, you know, because those names are on TV all the time. Everybody that's MMA fan, they're watching them, so they are popular guys, you know. They got tattoos on the face, <laughs> everywhere, you know. I don't have a tattoo, man. I gotta get some, man. No, no, I, I guess that's not who you are. You don't have a single tattoo. Do you have a tattoo? No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't have a tattoo, man. I I I I just can't fight. Is that enough? <laughs> no, no. You you have enough going for you. Um, but you're interesting. I thought they were going to put you the main event. You're not the main event, right? On NBC, I think you're the first fight on the televised card. Is that accurate? I think I think I'm, I think I'm the second fight. Oh, second fight, okay. I, I I don't care. Where's my spot? But you're such I, a nice I have guy. some. I have some to say. Like, man. I, I'm a good fighter, you know, I can beat a lot of guys, but that's, I'm a big fight fight fan, yeah. and I think Gage gotta be in that main event, you know. Wow. I, I, I kind of agree, I kind of agree, man. He's a fighter that the things he does. Oh, that's Justin I'm Gaethje. Sorry. Thanking you for the compliment. <laughs> yeah, he just. He just sent me a message. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. One, one, one second. I'm just going to make the screen bigger here. Yeah, that was Justin Gate. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it off my phone. Oh, yeah. No problem. Because it's connected to the computer. So Justin Gaethje is the main event. They also announced David Branch versus yeah. Taylor, Marlon Marais. And, like uh, I was saying. Yeah, go ahead. Like I was saying, man, I love to watch that guy fight, you know. Uh, bro, he's he's a great fighter and not just a, not just technique, you know. Bro, what's going to happen that guy fight, you know? Yeah, yeah. We never know. It's always and something crazy. I, I'm, 100, I'm 100% cool and I think he earned that spot, you know. I would say that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you talked about your team and a you lot... Get that spot, I had to fight him. I think he's two divisions above me. Oh, no. I think it's too much for me. Yeah. Um, your team is on fire these days, um, led by Mark Henry, Ricardo Almeida, as you mentioned, um, Eddie Alvarez, Frankie Edgar, Edson Barbosa. I mean, it's it's really a who's who. And a lot of those guys are actually fighting around the same time as you. Can you tell us about uh, the confidence these days of the team? What's it like when you go to the gym around all these guys? Man, first of all, they all like, these guys are such a great example as a fighter, as a champion that I, I was always looking for, you know. Back in the days, I see some champions and I'm like, man, I don't want to be like this guy. And I came here to New Jersey, I saw Frankie and said, man, I think I want to be like this guy. I think I want to be a champion, you know. Yeah. He he kind of bring that fire to my heart again. And Frankie, bro, is humble. He's there every day. He's there early. He's going to work. He's going to work again. And he's looking great, man. You know, like 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 you all know. Frank is going to be a tough fight for anybody, anybody in the world. And it doesn't matter the division. He fights at 45, 55, 35. It doesn't matter. Uh-huh. He's, man, he's a phenomenal fighter. 
and I think he makes some adjustments from the last fight, and I think he's gonna do great. And he's very excited about the fight by near near home. You yeah. know, he's from Jersey, man. Frankie's gonna bring the hit to New York, man. Yeah, it was interesting. I saw you at the press conference, right? Yeah, I was there. there. What's it like for you very to see happy. that? It's cool, man. It's cool. You want to be a part of something like that? Do you say, ah, I want to be a part of a big press conference? Because World Series doesn't do a lot of press conferences. Sometimes I feel like I want to be and sometimes not, you know, (laughs) because I see a lot of of crap, you know. Yeah. A lot of of talking, a lot of, a lot of, the game is changing, man, definitely. I agree with some of the fighters, but we, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be like the fans like you know and we got to be a little bit as a good fighter and we got to talk a little bit too you know yeah and i I just said about frankie and now i want to say about who else eddie yeah. eddie is looking good too you know i don't want to be in Connor's <laughs> skin you know it's something like I'm very confident that is a monster and i think it's a very good matchup for him and he's he's gonna do great, you know. What's your prediction on that fight? What do you think, Eddie Connor? Eddie. No, but how? Of course, Eddie. But how how do you foresee him winning? I think Eddie's gonna knock him out the first round. Oh wow! T- TKO first round. Jeez, the world will explode if that happens. Um, oh, and also. Especially- yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, I want to ask you, I saw on your Twitter, like you were kind of going after some of the haters talking about World Series of Fighting. I never seen you talk like that before. Where does this come from? Man, I don't know, man. I just I just want to stick with the team that I love, you know. I want to stick with the World Series of Fighting and I feel like they are doing great and sometimes I feel like the fan, they love us, they want us to get paid, but when we are getting paid, they complain, you know. They want to give the they want to give some, but they don't want to give it all, you sure. know. So, I don't know, man. This is a weird people, you know. I feel like most of these guys are guys that work out train in the gym but they don't have the balls to go out there you know oh yeah i like it so so you were getting I gotta like i, like I got to say like i got to got get a little bit of nick diaz nate diaz word you know <laughs> i don't give a fuck about those guys oh yes <laughs> i like it so you were getting some crap for for re-signing world series and you got annoyed about it cuz you're getting paid right yeah man this is all about you know it's it's all about who takes care of you yeah man. we got to be honest to each other you know and and it's about opportunities, you know, and they gave me a great opportunity, a great platform, great show, and I'm ready. I'm ready to perform. I, I didn't say about Edson. Yes. Edson, too, you know, Edson is, is here, man. He's training, you know, he's ready. And if somebody from the UFC, like, watching, you know, they, they, they know. They know, like, Eddie Edson is asking for fights, and if somebody get hurt in the next shows, and or if somebody got balls to fight him, yes. he's ready, you know, he's... He's ready to fight. Yeah, I know he is anxious to fight. He is looking for a fight, and uh, he's looking very good as of late. But I like what somebody you said. Gotta, somebody got to get this guy a fight, man. Okay. Because he, he's going to keep fighting on <laughs> um, I, I thought it was very important what you said. Uh, the days of just, you know, taking a, 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 a smaller contract with the UFC just to say that you fight in the UFC, it shouldn't be like that. You should try to go where you can make the most money so that you can be secure and comfortable and provide for your family and that's what you're doing that's basically the bottom line here right yeah man that that's that's man like it's, in any job it's, it is it is it is what it is it, it's that big part but it's definitely man 
I got to say, I'm very proud to say I'm on a fight in New York City mm. for a great promotion. Man. It's like the guy was before I was listening and he was saying how hard it is to put a show in, in New York. Man, we, we got to appreciate the hard work these people they're doing every day, man. Mm. I'm not saying just about the World Series, man. It's it's hard to put in a show. And I see how hard the UFC people work in the backstage, how hard the World Series and, and all the shows. You know, we got to appreciate the hard work this guy's done, you know? Yes. Very well said, especially after last week where a lot of those people lost their job in the UFC. So I appreciate you saying that very much, Marlon. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of sad, you know. You see people that they kind of give their lives for the sport, like, I see reporters like 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 you, you know, when you were very upset yeah, yeah. because you had some issue and I see a guy that really loved the sport and give a lot of time and, and like in one second everything's done. What are you gonna do? You know, that that's not MMA outside those three promotions, you know? Mm-hmm. What are you gonna do, you know? Well, Marlon, you're a very smart man. I uh, I am very happy for you. Congratulations on the new deal. Congratulations on the opportunity to fight in New York City, December 31st on NBC, the Peacock Network, against Jose Naldo Silva. That is uh, coming up in a little over two months' time. I, I appreciate the time very much. Again, congrats on the new deal, Marlon. Good luck in the fight, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you so much, Ariel. It's a pleasure to always be here with you. And, man, mark my name, man. I'm the best... <laughs> Five in the world, and man, December thirty first, NBC Channel Four, man, All gonna right. be a great show, man. You guys not gonna want to miss this. I look forward to it. Thank you, Marlon. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, there he is, Marlon Marais, the WSOF bantamweight champion. Okay, uh, let us move along now. One of the big stories last week was supposed to be the Bellator debut of Kevin Ferguson Jr. Baby Slice, the son of the late great Kimbo Slice. Unfortunately, his opponent missed weight by seventeen pounds. Wanted to talk to Kevin about this and when, in fact, he will debut for Bellator. He is joining us on the phone right now. Kevin, are you there? I'm here, man. How's it going? I, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. And I know, I believe you're at the airport right now, so I appreciate you squeezing us in. Um, so, two Bellator debuts now have come and gone. You were supposed to fight in August. Unfortunately, you got injured. And now this situation, but this time, I mean, you went through the media workouts. You were there in Memphis. You were a little over 24 hours away. How do you come to terms with that as you're gearing up for this big debut? There's so much hype, so much excitement surrounding your debut, and then you have to take your foot off the gas. How do you do that? Um, you know, it, it, it sucked. You know, I found out when, uh, like, um, an hour before weigh-ins, you know, I was trying to, I was cutting the last my last pound and a half, and, you know, they told me, and it was just like a, a drain, you know, because I, I wanted to get in there, you know, I worked hard for this, and I was ready to go in there and hurt this guy, you know. I was going to get the knockout, or the ref was going to stop it, you know. One of one of the two was going to happen, and I, I think he got scared, man. He, he definitely must have got scared, saw the open workout, I don't know, but he, I don't know. I was, I was just ready, man. It, it sucked. Um, so you still weighed in, and you still got your show money, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I still waited. I waited actually a pound underweight, or 164. Wow. How yeah. pissed were you? I mean, like, what was your immediate reaction when you got the news? You already weigh in, you did all the work, and then 17 pounds. If he was truly scared from seeing you, I mean, he must have known that he wasn't going to fight, and we're talking about Ray Bing, who was supposed to be your opponent. He must have known, because 17 pounds, it's kind of like he didn't really try, right? Right, right, man. 17 pounds is a lot of weight. I, I would have fought him at 170, even 175, you know? But he weighed in at 180, 185, 181. So, wow. And, and I was 164. I still would have fought him at 170. 
But, you know, they was like, no, you know, don't do it. But, you know, I'll be back November 19th in San Jose, you know, and, I, and I'm going to get that knockout, man. Um, so is that a done deal? Your debut now is set for November 19th? Oh, yeah, set for November 19th in San Jose. Okay, on Spike TV. Do you know who you'll be facing? No, nah, man, they know I don't care, man. I'm <laughs> putting the work. I'm going to train hard, and I'm going there and get the knockout, or I'm going there to hurt my opponent as long as I get that W, you know? Are, are you feeling a little anxious now about the debut? Like, you just want to get it under your belt because this will now be the third time that you're trying to debut for Bellator? Like, you are, are you a little bit, I guess anxious would be the best word. You, you just want to have it go down, step in that cage, and do it? Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm anxious, you know, because I, I, it just gives me more time to become more dangerous, you know, to sharpen my, sharpen my skills, sharpen my tools. You still there? Same. I think we lost you for a sec. Yeah, you can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. Now we got you. You were saying yeah, uh, so. so yeah, I'm really that anxious. You know, I, I'm just gonna get back into the gym and, uh, and and better my skills. You know, I'm just gonna become more dangerous than what I would have did in in October uh, last week. So you know, I'm just gonna be more. I'm be more prepared. You know, I'm gonna be, have more cardio. You know, more technique, more power. You know, my skills are just gonna get better. So I just feel bad for my opponent, whoever the guy is. He's gonna get hurt in there. Um, so you have one amateur fight, which happened in March, and this will be your pro debut as well, correct? Right. I have a couple of smokers as well. Okay. Um, did you ever street fight like your father? Uh, yeah, I got in a couple of street fights. Yeah, about every, all my after all my street fights, I end up, you know, getting in trouble or huh. getting the police called on me. You know, so I had to stop that. Um, did you ever attend any of your father's street fights? Oh yeah, definitely, man. I went to a couple of his fights, and and I went to even some of his professional fights. I was there, you know. What was it like? Okay, not the professional ones, but just seeing your father in the sort of backyard environment. What was that like? I mean, you. I'm, I'm guessing you were probably you know early teens when that was happening, right? Maybe even younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was like 17, man. Well, what's that like for you to see that as a kid? I loved it. I, I've been around it my whole life. You know, I've always been in the gym, you know, since I was like seven or eight. You know, I was always in the gym. I was always watching fights. So to see my dad do it, it was just like, man, I want to do this. You know, this is something I want to do. You know, I, I feel like all my nerves and everything got out back then. Now it's more like I'm ready to fight. I'm, I'm prepared for it. Oh, I wow. know what to expect. Um, Did, you know, did watching that because it wasn't there a point where you didn't want to be a fighter. You went into photography school in San Francisco. Like, do you feel like it was always there? You were always going to cross that bridge. You just wanted to do a few other things, or was there a moment, a discussion, an incident, you know, something that you witnessed that said, "Okay, this is what I was born to do. This is what I should be doing." No, man, I, I always wanted to be a fighter. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to high school. Honestly, I just wanted to be in the gym and fight. But you know, my dad, he, he was like, "No, get an education first. Go to college." you know, learn some things. And if it doesn't work out, then fight. Okay. So that's what I did. You know, I listened to him. I went to college for a couple of years and I was supposed to uh, graduate with associates, but I started working. I put Team Kimbo taking pictures for the for the crew. You know, that's why I was at the, all the pro fights taking pictures. I even went to Thailand for the Scorpion King 3. I was taking pictures for that. Wow. So, you know, that's like my second passion, but fighting is my first passion. And it's something I love to do. You know, when I'm walking out to the cage, you know, I just love it. I channel that energy, and I know how to use it to my advantage. You know, I love being in that cage. You know, it's my home. 
by the way, it, it's kind of amazing how much you sound like your father. And uh, he, he was very good to me. I, I miss him dearly. Um, he was just such a kind man and sort of different than his public persona. So it's kind of a trip to be talking to you right now. I think the world of your father. Um, were, were you there in, in Florida when he lost to Seth Petrozelli? Yes, uh-huh. yeah, I was there, man. I was at that fight. Yeah. What, what was that like for you to see that chaos? I mean, like I said, you know, I never showed emotions to to, not, to nothing. You know, I know when you're stepping in the cage, it's either somebody's going to get the W and somebody's going to lose. You know, I just wasn't expecting my father to lose like that. But, you know, he did. And after the fight, I just told him, you know, he's going to come back stronger. He's going to get better, you know. I really didn't, you know, show no emotion because I know what, what, how the game goes. And I know what's a part of the game. At a young age, I knew that. So, you know, it wasn't no pressure for me. And my family is what really, they didn't understand it. So they was all upset and going through all the emotions. But I was good, you know. Um, when your father's on the cover of ESPN, the magazine and main eventing shows on CBS and maybe the most famous MMA fighter on the planet and still is to this day, people who don't know anything about MMA still know who Kimbo Slice is. When, when your father is that guy, what is that like for you? Do you feel like a lot of people are coming up to you who are trying to be your friends, but are just trying to get closer to him? Do you feel like kids are trying to pick on you, trying to start fights with you to see how tough you are? Like, what's it like growing up as his son? I mean, in high school, it was like that in high school, you know, a lot of guys, you know, they, uh, I used to wrestle and I played football. So when they used to tackle me, they used to be like, yeah, we tackled them, we got them. And then on the wrestling mat, you know, they used to, you know, go harder. Or I, I saw the raise that they had just, you know, competing with me. And at the time, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't have no just aggressiveness. You know, I was just going through the motions. But now, you know, all these guys calling me out, you know, I want them to call me out. I want them to think that they could step in the ring with me and step in the cage with me because then they're going to be in for a rude awakening, you know. I've been doing this for for a while, so... I'm just ready to showcase my skills and, you know, let the world know. It's really no pressure with him being my being my father, you know. It's I just it's just more eyes on me, you know, I got a bigger fan base now because of him. You know, all his fans are my fans. I got the older fans and then I have some of the newer generation's fans. So, you know, I'm just I'm just ready to fight, man. I'm just training hard and ready to fight. What does your mom think about you becoming a fighter? Oh, she loves it. She knew this was gonna happen. I've been told her this that I was gonna fight. You know, uh-huh. I've been toward this. So she's she's been prepared. You know, she knows. And then my grandmother and my stepmom, my dad's wife, they all used to it. You know, they just they 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 accepting it now. You know. Um. And and how close were with you? How close were you with your father? You know, over the last couple of years. I mean, as you were really getting ready to do this, um, your amateur debut happening in March. Was he there? Was he, Was he? you know, I don't think he was actually in Massachusetts where it happened, but was he following it? Were you talking to him before? Did you train with him in Florida? How close were you guys? Well, we was actually pretty close, and they knew I was going to fight him, and uh, my manager, Icy Mike, was the same manager as my dad, you know. Um, he's your manager, they, too? They knew I was gonna... Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was only right, you know. It was only yeah. Right. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean but, to interrupt. Um, yeah, but they, they knew I was going to fight, man. They they knew it, and uh, I didn't tell them, you know. They knew I was training, but they didn't, knew I, they didn't know I was going to fight. I didn't want to, you know, reach out to them and ask for help. You know, I wanted to do it all on my own, and that's what I did. You know, I found a gym in Connecticut, plus one defense. It was a great gym. Sensei Darren, you know, he taught me a lot. And I actually did jiu-jitsu for a year before I did any stand-up. Wow. I was doing I was in the gi. So, um yeah, and I didn't tell him. So after the fight, you know, he called me and we, we had a long conversation. 
And then I talked to Mike, and me and Mike had a long conversation. And um, like a month later, you know, he called. We 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 we, been, we was talking through this whole time, but then he called me again like a month after everything, and was like, you know, Bellator is interested. You know, they, if this is something I really want to do, this is my chance. You know, to, to, to turn pro and and to do it. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. And uh, you know, I turned pro with Bellator, and you know, I'm here now. Um, so he had when you made that debut in uh, in March, the amateur debut. He had no idea that you were fighting that night. No, he had no idea. Wow, Mike, no idea. Did, 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 was he annoyed? Like, was he mad at you at first? Like, man, why didn't you tell me? No, he was happy, man. He, he was happy that the fact that I did it all on my own. Wow. You know, I, I didn't ask for help. I could have reached out. It would have been easy to reach out to these guys and for them to get me a fire. That would have been easy, a piece of cake. But I didn't want to do it like that. You know, I, I worked at a gas station, at a, at a gas station job, minimum wage. I was paying for training. I was paying for my gear. You know, I didn't ask for any, I didn't ask for any help. You know, I wanted to show these guys that I was serious about it. And this is something I really wanted to do, and that's what I did. And now, you know, I, I got the help that I need. I have the right guys in my corner. Who ultimately told him that you debuted? I think he just saw it, man. Maybe I, uh-huh. I, can't, I can't even say it, man. You know, because after that, you know, it was it was big. It got over a million views. It was on, you know, all the social media sites. So, you know, I'm pretty sure he saw it. But I called him right after, you know. And when I called him right after, he already knew about it. So maybe he knew the whole time. Wow. He just didn't say nothing to me, you know. Um, who gave you the nickname Baby Slice? I came up with that myself, man. That was all me. <laughs> and was he okay with it? Did he like it? Oh, yeah, of course. He liked it. I mean, I was going to keep it regardless, you know. But I just figured, because, you know, he's a heavyweight. You know, my dad walked around 250, 250. So that's a heavyweight. You know, I'm a smaller version of him. I'm, I'm fighting at 160, 155. That's like a, you know, it's a big jump. So I, I came up with, you know, I was like Baby Slice. You know, it sounds good. I like it. So I'm going to stick with it. Does a part of you wish that you had a few more fights under your belt before you went to Bellator? Like maybe, you know, you know, if you're fighting on the amateur scene, the local scene, you could fight almost every week or so. Do you feel like you needed that? Or do you, are you content with the way things are working and you're still sitting on that one fight? Here we are seven months later. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm good. I, I didn't I didn't just have one amateur fight. You know, I had a couple of smokers as right, well. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, they're, all, they're, all, they're on the internet a little bit. And, I, and I've been training for my whole life, so I feel like it was only right. You know, I'm prepared. You know, you guys going to see when I step in that cave, you guys going to see what I bring to the table. And you're going to be like, yeah, this kid, he belongs here. You know, you know, I love it. So it was only right that I signed and turned pro. If I would have did amateur, more amateur fights, I would have just hurt those guys. <laughs> they wasn't prepared to step in there with me. So, you know, I needed to turn pro just to get that, you know, that level of experience and I'm getting paid for it. So Yeah, you know, of course. It. That is a very good thing. Um, your, your dad's passing, did that expedite anything for you? Did you feel like, okay, this is the time? Yeah, hold on, bro. What's up? No, say it again. Um, did your dad's passing expedite anything as far as your fighting career is concerned? Um, it made me, I, I take it more serious now, you know. It, it means a lot more to me now. You know, it's not like at this point, it's not even a, a, about the money or about the fame. It's just about continuing the legacy. So, you know, that's that's my goal now is just to continue the legacy and take the slice name to the next level, you know, to show the the, the new slice, you know, the new Kimbo slice, the new baby slice. You know, that's, what I, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, two more questions for you and then and then I'll let you go. What's the best piece of advice that he ever gave you about the fight game or about life? Just to, to keep my hands up for the fight in the fight game, he told me to just keep my hands up, you know, hit hard, chin tuck, and move fast. 
and in life, you know, if, if I don't stand for something, I'll fall for anything, you know, and I stick by that mm. and I stick with it, you know. Do you ever think, man, I wish, you know, I wish you could be there November 19th. I wish you could be in Memphis. Do you, do you sort like, Oh man, every day, yeah. every day, man, every day. Yes. Every day. Man, I even watched you guys' interviews, and you know, before the fights, I was watching your interview with him. You know, I was like, thought that was pretty cool. I was like, man, I can't wait to do an interview with this guy. You know? Oh man, what a trip! Uh, such a great guy, and really so kind to everyone. Uh, he is dearly missed, um, and and my condolences to your family on his passing. But very happy that you are uh, you're taking that torch and, and and you're doing your own thing in in Bellator. And I'm looking forward to your debut. Right. I'm sorry what happened last week, but November 19th it is. Uh, Kevin, go catch that plane. Thank you for squeezing us in, and I wish you the best of luck. Right, and we'll man, talk to you, you soon. All right, man, talk to you. All right, there he is, Kevin Ferguson Jr., the son of Kevin Ferguson Sr., Kimbo Slice. That's his son, Baby Slice. What a story this is. Uh, I will never forget that day uh, when, when, when Kimbo Slice uh, passed away. That was uh, just hours after I did that show, after UFC 199, and uh, really, unfortunately, put everything into perspective. He was such an important figure in this sports history Still to this day, one of the most recognizable faces in mixed martial arts history. And uh, at the time, we had just found out that his son had uh, this amateur fight, which, by the way, Chuck Mindenhall of MMAfighting.com, he was there and wrote a great story about it. Uh, if you Google Baby Slice Kevin Ferguson Jr. MMAfighting.com, that story will come up. It's a really nice feature about Kevin's amateur debut and then very smart move, I think, on Bellator's part. They sign him, and now he is a part of this sort of new breed of fighters. You saw him, if you were watching on Friday, uh, sitting alongside AJ McKee. Um, they, they have a lot, you know, th this is, to me, as I've said before, when AJ was on, a lot of young guys who, you know, we're starting to see the Scott Coker fingerprints on Bellator come into play. I think when he was putting together those, you know, those quote unquote, you know, fantasy freak show fights. That was a quick way to get people watching, to get people noticing the new Bellator. But I think Scott's MO has always been to find young talent before they go elsewhere, groom them. I think he did a great job of that, a fantastic job of that. If you look at the the names that were built up in Strike Force, especially from the Bay Area, uh, Cormier, Rockhold, Cain Velasquez, a lot of the 135ers, 145ers, I mean, a lot of those, Josh Thompson, Gilbert Melendez, a lot of those names either were resurrected in Strike Force, were born in Strike Force, and we're starting to see a lot of that uh, these days in Bellator. We're seeing less of those sort of freaky fights. I think the card November 4th, Mohegan Sun is a very good example of that as well. Uh, MVP is on the card, one of those names that they're trying to build up. But, you know, Liam McGeary, who's a Bellator guy uh, from the previous regime, let's give them credit against Phil Davis. It's for me, they've they've come a long way from the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, they were sort of lost a little bit, trying to find their way. And I feel like we have a better sense of who Bellator is. Now, I do maintain that they should be putting on less events. Um, everyone should be putting on less events, if we're being honest. And all indications seem to be that the UFC is going to be doing less events. Uh, putting on, you know, eight straight weeks of events, you know, I, I know television stations need programming, but I don't think it helps the product. One of the best parts of Strikeforce back in the day was that there were only, you know, I don't know, in their prime, eight to 10 events or so. And that way you can have very solid main cards from top to bottom. Now you can have these smaller shows, Challenger Series, whatever. They did a lot more of that once they teamed up with with Showtime, but as far as the, the big events are concerned, I think it's important to put on, less is more. 
And uh, quality, in my opinion, is always more important than quantity. But I, I understand that they have contracts and uh, TV networks want to plug in things on Friday and, and, and Saturday nights. And they have to sort of weigh the two and figure out what's what's that sort of magic number that they want to uh, that they, they want to occupy as far as dates on the calendar. And, and I think they're figuring that out as well. It's, it's a very interesting time though, for them as they start to sign these, these new guys like Ed Ruth coming up and, you know, um, you know, hopefully we'll have Aaron Pico debuting. I, I like the direction now a lot more than I did around 10 months ago. And Kevin Ferguson, in my opinion, uh, junior is a big part of that and a nice indication of that as well. Um, all right, let us move along. Uh, another fight that was announced last week <clears throat> was for that UFC on Fox 22 card in Sacramento, California, Sacktown. It's going to be their first event at the brand new arena over there, home of the Sacramento Kings. And of course, you cannot put on an event in Sacramento without the California kid, the king of Sacramento. He joins us right now, I believe, via the magic of Skype. This event taking place on December 19th. It is the one headlined by Paige Van Zandt versus Michelle Watterson, December 17th, I should say. And there he is, the California kid himself, who is on vacation and is so kind to be joining us on the show while on vacation in Mexico. Uriah, how are you? Doing good. I'm actually coming home in a few hours. I'll be back in sack. Oh, great. Well, I missed you very much. Um, thank you for squeezing us in. Is this business or pleasure? Uh, we went with the UFC gym. Um, so both, I guess, really. Like the corporate, we had a contest and and uh, a bunch of us came out. It was pretty cool. So you're opening a UFC gym in Mexico? <laughs> yeah, right here. We really? named it after you. It's the Ariel Hawani Signature UFC gym no, in no. Cancun. I'm serious. I'm serious. I, I, I didn't no, know. It was a, it was a uh, UFC gym corporate. Oh, okay. They put on a contest and they, they took a bunch of the, the franchise owners and, and you know managers out here. And, I, and I, uh, I was invited to come along. But I actually did just open a Rockland UFC gym, which is about 35 minutes from Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness in downtown Sac. And it's kicking butt, man. It's doing good. And just so I understand, because I'm not a business guy, I'm not as smart as you are when it comes to the stuff. You are a business guy, Ariel. <laughs> Why, even though I'm Jewish, honestly, I'm not a business guy. Why open up a UFC you know, gym? What's that supposed to mean? Well, oh, come on. I know what you were thinking. They were all thinking it, all right? Uh, <laughs> You're a businessman. You're a businessman. Uh, why a UFC gym and not a Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness Gym? Why would you open sort of a competition? Um, you know, I've had a relationship with the, the UFC gym guys for about six years now, since before they even started. And um, I own just a small piece of the UFC gym out in Rockland. Oh, okay. And it's, it's not a conflict. There's no, there's no actual sparring that's allowed there. It's, it's a real fitness-based and, and about learning. And it's a different, it's a different look than our, than our team. And they've actually been a huge support system in and our next gym, the Uriah Faber Ultimate Fitness Gym, in our new location that we're working on, as far as you know, kind of mentors for for getting that thing cooking. So they've been a real ally, and it's about thirty five minutes away. Okay. Um, so it's just a different gig. Team Alpha Male lives out of Uriah Faber's Ultimate Fitness. We're moving into a massive new facility. It's going to be pretty awesome. Um, all right. So the news last week pertaining to you was that. 
you're coming back, you're fighting in December in the new arena. That was a natural. Everyone wanted to see you fight on that card. You built that market, very important to that market. You're fighting Brad Pickett. But since you fought in September at 203, did you have to think long and hard? Like, was this a quick turnaround? Like, in other words, if they weren't fighting in SAC, would you not have come back this fast? Uh, absolutely not. And, and to be honest with you, I'm super excited to fight in SAC. You know, those are all my people out there. I built our team, Team Alpha Male, it's like an extended family to me. And I, I was raised in the greater Sacramento area all the way through college. And, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a really cool event. I've, I've been kind of waiting for this. And, and this is actually going to be my last fight. And it just feels right to do it in SAC in this new arena. And, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it just feels like the right time in the right place. And, and um, so... I've, I've been waiting for this new arena to be built. I was waiting for that Dominic Cruz opportunity, and, and I, I feel like, you know, this is going to be an epic event, and, and I can't wait to do it in front of the people I love. Wait a second. Um, this fight against Brad Pickett is going to be your retirement fight? I think so, man. Wow. I, I, uh, I, I just feel like it feels like it's the right time. I've been super blessed with this career. I'm, I'm very thankful for my the health that I have right now and the success that I've had, and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm pretty proud of, of being able to give back to the to the next generation of guys from from you know creating contenders and champions and, and being a leader of that team. And it just feels like now's the time to to have a have a homecoming and a and an adios at the same time. Wow, I, I have goosebumps. I, I had no idea that you were going to announce this, and I appreciate you doing it on the show. When did you come to this conclusion? When did you decide that this was the perfect time to have your last fight? Um, you know, I've, I've I've been teetering with it for a long time. The the thing that I'm that I'm lucky is uh, is like I said, I have my health, and I and I really love what I'm doing, but um just as far as the passion goes i have a passion for what i'm doing still but it doesn't get the same emotion that, that it has in the past i remember you know my favorite fighter of all time is roy jones jr and i remember them talking about him kind of feeling that where he was <laughs> playing full basketball games you know the same day as a boxing match and just you know it took a long time to get to this point where i'm i'm skilled enough and i'm you know in a position enough to where I can fight and have a great time. But like my last fight in the last couple fights, I haven't found that emotional rise or fall. That is kind of a strange thing for me. And, and I still love what I'm doing. That's the reason why I'm doing it. But, um, I just feel like this is going to be something that's going to be an emotional thing for me. It's going to be a passion thing. I'm going to train my butt off. And I just feel like right now is the right time. We've got, you know, Cody, hopefully about to, challenge for the for the world title and bring it back we've got Paige Van Zandt that is a star on the rise and and I've had a hand in so many other folks that uh coming up in this sport I think you know moving forward I'm going to be more of a GM for the team is it is kind of a general manager recruiting making sure that uh that things are uh moving forward and building the biggest best team in the world and and I just feel like I, I feel like I can compete with anyone right now. My health is there. My body's there. But uh, I want to get that emotion, have that last that last fight, and, and make it a uh, kind of a stand. Wow. Because I, I fight, so every time somebody offers me a fight, I'm going to accept unless I make it <laughs> a stand. I mean, I'll right. do it until I'm 
just like that. Did you tell the UFC this? Like, did you reach out to them and say, I want to fight on this card. I want this to be my last fight. Can you give me a slot? No. No, I didn't say anything about that. You're the first one to hear, Ariel. Wow. This is amazing. I am honored. Honestly, sometimes people come on the show and give me a heads up about an announcement. You just dropped this bomb on me, and I had no idea that it was coming. So they have no idea as well. Yeah, it's all good. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, I know when I've told you stuff before, you try to act around like you don't turn around <laughs> at it. <laughs> but this time you didn't, right? But I did. I know. I like that. I appreciate that. Um, what, what Was the opponent important for you or you just wanted a fight? Uh, no, the opponent hasn't been important to me. Yeah. I tried to do that with, with Frankie Edgar. I just was looking for bigger fights and hoping it was going to drum up more emotion. I went up a weight class and things like that. But, I mean, honestly, it's like, like I said, I enjoy competing. And I love to get out there, and I feel like I can compete with anyone in the world. It took me a long time to get like that. But, um, but you know, it's just, it's just changed for me a bit. And, and I'm hoping that I, that I, that I have that, that adrenaline and the hair on my, my neck stand up for this oh, fight. Oh, man. I look hometown and, and be in the last fight. Um, that's what I really enjoy about this thing. And, and, I, and I've, I've loved, you know, just being a part of other people's success, you know, even guys like TJ. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the fact that, you know, TJ and Chad and, and guys like Munoz, Munoz and, and Scotty Jorgensen, like all these guys that I helped get into the sport and I've seen some of them go, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it, I feel like it's, it's, it's kind of like a perfect time for me to, to make an exit and, and work on building this team. I have some, you know, entertainment stuff I've, I've been, I've been working on shows and, and some movie stuff i've got uh business stuff that i've been working on but i'm most excited about growing the next generation of fighters bringing multiple belts back to the sacramento area and, and i want to go out with a with a massive win and, and against a great opponent and do it in my hometown uh, what was it like for you as you walked back to the locker room after the fight against Jimmy Rivera, UFC 203? Like, were you starting to think, okay, this is, you know, the second to last one. I know that Sacramento card is coming up. Because I, I remember looking at you, I actually made it a point to come sit on press row for that fight because I always feel like it's a special thing to watch you fight. I was in the back up until that point. And I remember trying to, like, read your frustration. You seemed obviously disappointed you lost. But were you starting to think those things even that night as well? Um, no, not necessarily. You know, I think that fight was kind of a it's kind of a weird one for me. I feel like I knew it was going to be a tough fight because he's not he's not a like offensively he stays pretty pretty closed up. It was hard to find openings, but I, I feel like we could have used like two or three more rounds in that fight. You know? Yeah, I don't think either of us was fatigued. That either of us had really you know even barely got started. So. Um, you know, it was kind of a weird feeling. It was anticlimactic, and uh, it wasn't like a real. I don't feel like I got beat up. I didn't beat anyone up. It was like I only got barely got started in that fight, so I wasn't thinking about that. No. Any regrets? Uh, no, I don't have any regrets. 
no regrets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember that. Um, you don't strike me as the kind of guy to have regrets, but of course, I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about the UFC belt. Does that does that bother you at all that you never got the actual UFC title? I know you were the king for so long, WEC, and those that don't recognize that are, are fooling themselves. We all know what it meant to be the WEC champion, but does it bother you? Will, do you think it will bother you one day that you didn't get that actual physical UFC title? No, absolutely not. I mean, to be honest, I was 32 years old when the UFC brought my weight class into the division. Yeah. And I actually thought I won that fight. It was a very close fight with, with Dominic Cruz. It, you know, depending on who's judging by what, I, I feel like, you know, I, I very easily can make a case for, for me winning that fight. Um, but, you know, at 32, they introduced my weight class for the first time for the UFC. It was the same owners. It was Dana and Lorenzo and Burt and everybody involved in, in I was case to me as, a, as being the champion of the world and all the best fighters I mean at that time it was Aldo and and Pettis and and you know on and on and Demetrius and all these guys Benson Henderson those guys were all part of that group so um, Cowboy and you know the list goes on I mean I, I'm not fooled about I mean I've had 14 years in this sport and, and my entire career has been at the top I've had title shots I've, I've held the title for years and years um i don't live about you know what somebody calls something i know what it, i know what it was and, right and uh, you know I, I think for me it's it's uh i just a very thankful guy man i really am yeah never a serious yeah. injury right never one not one serious injury wow i've never been conscious in my entire career i've been I've been wobbled a couple times, but I've never been knocked unconscious in, in practice or in or in a fight. I'm knocking on wood right now. Yes, I bet Brad gets a big hitter. Um, <clears throat> um, in any in any way, shape, or form, uh, I feel like my my mind and my body. I feel like I'm in better shape or just as good a shape as I've ever been, and I want to continue with that. Um, I'm going to stay competing in something. I'm going to stay training every day. I'm going to stay sharp because that's what I love to do. Um, but I have a lot of interests, a lot of passions that um, can kind of distract me from time to time. And, and you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to be dedicated to a sport to where I've, I've reached a, a point where I can do, you know, I could do 10 rounds with anyone in the world, I feel like. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not a difficult thing. So, you know, I fought, I fought everybody in this sport, so... I don't know, I'm, I'm excited for the for the next generation. I'm excited to grow this team. I'm excited to get into entertainment, into build business, and everything else. And and you know, I, I feel like it's just the right time. And I'm super thankful for my relationships with the WC and the UFC, Dana and Lorenzo. They've always been so good to me. And um, you know, I just I'm just thankful, and I, I want to go out feeling good and 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 have an amazing fight, and, and you know, go to the next chapter selfishly i must say there's mixed emotions right now because i think there's nothing cooler in combat sports than when an athlete who is healthy knows when to say when walks away on his own terms doesn't get released and have to fight elsewhere and it's kind of a shell of himself but you sort of represent an era in mixed martial arts to me and uh, it will be sad to see you go but i'm happy that it's again your decision your terms you said it and no one else is telling you no one else is pushing you out so I, i think that's very commendable well, thank you. I'm just doing what I want. Yeah, <laughs> I know? appreciate that. Um, yeah, what would have been announced about 
I, I, I've been I've been in Mexico for a week, so I don't know what's going on. Um, has Cruz's next opponent been announced? Well, I reported it um, on Thursday. It hasn't been announced. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't been announced, but uh, you know, according to my very good sources, I'm told that it is Cruz versus Garbrandt, December 30th, UFC 207. Are you hearing the same, Uriah? I have heard some rumors about that, but we're not sure. I've heard a lot of rumors, you know, all sorts of rumors. Sure. About a bunch of... But, uh, you know, it's 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 exciting for me, you know, to think about that and to think about um, the future of, of, you know, the team in general. Like I said, we're, we're just revamping. I'm going to be acting kind of as a... You know, of course, I have value as a coach, but I think that's a big commitment, and our coaching staff is doing amazing right now. Yeah. All guys up of our team um and i'm excited to get that belt back to to sacramento and and uh and you know help with this next generation i, I believe josh emmett and uh Paige van zant are on the card also in sac and hopefully we get feely or a couple more guys we'd like to get alex sandoval uh on the on the map there and um it's gonna be a massive event man and, I, and I, i'm enjoying the the build up already you know i'm on vacation but you know, I, vacation for me is an active, active thing. I'm in the ocean like hours upon hours and, and running around exploring and, and things like that. So I'm happy to get back and have my last killer killer training camp with, with the best team in the world and, and go out in, in my city and, and end on a high note, uh, get a big win and, and, uh, and build the next generation. What a beautiful thing. And you get to do it at that new arena. Let me ask you this before I let you go. And maybe December 17th will top them all. But as of right now, best moment of your career, what was the high moment? The one that when you think back, you know, wow, it was never more fun than that night. I feel like I have a guess, but I'd love to hear it from you. I think it's going to be this last one. Oh, wow. That is beautiful, man. Giving me goosebumps. I think it'll be this last one. Okay, up until this point, is it the Jens Pulver fight? Yeah, I would say that was definitely it. I mean, Jens Pulver is a former UFC champion. He's a guy that I followed and looked up to. Um, you know, it was my first big fight in, in, the, in the Sacramento arena where we're at the Arco, which is a big deal. I had I, been to the Arco a couple times as a kid in nosebleeds because we didn't have a lot of cash. You know, wasn't wasn't at the game at the front row. Uh so to be a main event there, it was really cool, and and uh, to have an epic fight with with Jens was really big, and um, you know I think that <clears throat> it was the first time it was really put out there on on a big big platform. Yeah. Uh, no secret that your father is a very loyal viewer of this program. Is he hearing the news for the first time as well, or did you give him a heads up? Um, I've talked to my, I see my dad every day, man. Okay. He's, he's at favorite construction. We're kicking butt right now. We're, <laughs> we're new gym and, and, you know, building houses and, and all that good stuff. So I, I talked to him on the regular on, on the construction front and he won't stop. I mean, he's, he's worse than you asking questions. <laughs> I have to cut him off. I will, uh, he knows what's coming. I, I didn't tell him, I didn't tell anyone I was officially, gonna uh, talk about this on this this show or anything it was kind of a last minute decision um you know wow that to 
it. Sure, sure. What an honor. Uh, I, I sincerely mean that. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the memories, man. Thank you for all the great moments. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to talk to you before the fight and, uh, you know, be there in person and take it all. I can't imagine what it is going to feel like in that arena when California Love comes on. Wow, that is going to be something. Oh, it's going to be nuts. I mean, I've got people from everywhere trying to get tickets right now for that show. It's going to... It's going to be insane, man. I mean, I can't. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And there's something somewhat poetic about, you know, a product of Team Alpha Male, Paige Van Zandt, headlining. Like, you're sort of passing the torch. You know what I mean? There's something kind of nice about that. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And the, and, the, and the cool thing is, I mean, the best is yet to come with our team. I, especially with the way that coaching staff is right now. Justin Buckles has been doing an amazing job. Uh, Danny Castillo, Chris Holdsworth, Fabio Prado. Um you know, Master Tong just went back after 11 years yes. hiatus to see his, his wife and everything, which is an emotional thing. Um, but we've, we've got his his lineage here with us and, and Coach Joey and, and all the contributors. Our, our team is on point right now. I've got Josh Espy, who is one of the uh, one of the guys that's, that's become our CEO for our team at our gym, who used to be with Onnit, who's helping us bring everything to the next level as far as the team goes. We've got a lot of cool stuff in the making. I, I've got kids that are now my main training partners, like Joseph Morales and Andrew Coyne, that were 9, 10 years old, and now are you know 6-0 and as professionals at 22, married, having kids, and it's just nuts, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked about this next generation of guys, and I've been talking to these amazing recruits that have been, you know, have kind of like-minded personalities for Team Alpha Male that are coming out, like on, uh, like Alex Munoz and Jordan Oliver and, and uh, Mike De Palma. These are all guys that are talking about coming out to our team that are high-level wrestlers that, that fit the mold. And so, um, you know, it's it's an exciting time. And there's going to be a lot of Sacramento headliners from Team Alpha Male for, for the future. And, and it's going to be more and more of a, a staple, and it's going to be an exciting thing. So, um I'm pumped about that, amongst all the other things that I have going on. Yeah, and you seem sincere when you say that, as opposed to just saying it for the sake of saying it. That feels like a greater accomplishment. I, I feel like you feel like that's a greater accomplishment than any win, any title, right? The team that you built. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And it's also the highs and lows are, are bigger. You know what I mean? It's a, it's, a, it's a different feeling when it's not just you and your efforts on the line. You know, having guys leave or having new guys in the pride the, the the heartbreak you know all that kind of stuff is that's real stuff so um it really is like a family it's it's a uh, it's a cool thing and um it's gonna get it's gonna get bigger and better this new gym is gonna be amazing it's gonna be a uh, an iconic place we're working on a building that was buzz oats who's a who's a massive and we have a a uh, local artist, David Garibaldi, is is going to be doing a massive mural on the building. It's going to be me who's there as an athlete representing Sacramento and, and everyone involved. So, um, so I I'm, I'm here. There's already an article about my retirement. Good job, Eric. <laughs> That's the way we roll at MMAfighting.com. That's the way we like to do. We got to get. But but you know this 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 gym is going to be an iconic spot for Sacramento and it's gonna it's gonna be a really cool thing to have for our city and, and it'd be really neat to I mean it's really neat to be the guy that's 
built that, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the Wi-Fi is breaking up. I have one more question if I can't squeeze it in there, and I hope it gets better for this last question. You strike me as a very happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I've known you for quite some time, and I've never seen you really upset or sad or anything like that. Do you think leading up to the fight you'll ever have a moment where you smell the roses and get emotional or sad, or maybe afterwards? What are you expecting emotionally as you approach this final fight? Yeah, it's going to be emotional for sure. I mean, it will be. Okay. Um, but after you go lucky doesn't mean you don't feel emotion. Sure. They're actually more intense. That's right. Well said. Well, Uriah, what an honor this is. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show and, and breaking this news with us. But more importantly, congratulations on a Hall of Fame career, a legendary career. You're a pioneer. You're a trailblazer. Without you, the sport of MMA isn't what it is today. And I don't just say that because you're on the show. I, I mean that sincerely. You have been so kind to the media, so kind to all of us. Uh, but it has been truly an honor to watch you compete. Uh, and I look forward to doing it one more time on December 17th. All the best to you, my man. Thank you. Safe travels home and good luck in training as you approach that final fight. Thanks, guys. Love everybody. All right. We'll talk to you soon. There he is. Wow. How about that? The California kid, Uriah Faber. And unfortunately, the Wi-Fi, it, it uh, kind of felt like we were on uh, borrowed time there. Um, the, uh, the, the power of Wi-Fi in Mexico is sometimes not very strong, but you heard it loud and clear at the top. Uriah Faber announcing that on December 17th in Sacramento, California. It will be his final fight as he competes against Brad Pickett live and free on Fox. How about that? Uh, the end of a Hall of Fame legendary career. And uh, you heard it here first. Uh, I had no idea that was coming and uh, I have goosebumps uh, just just hearing that from him. Uh, thank you very much, Uriah, for doing that. Wow, what an honor and a privilege that was. Uh, the main event that night is Paige Van Zandt versus Michelle Watterson. And Michelle Watterson is joining us now via the magic of Skype. I do believe she is waiting patiently for us. Or did we lose her? Oh, there she is. Michelle Watterson, how are you? Well, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for joining us. How about that? I don't know if you heard it, but uh, you're fighting Paige Van Zant, her teammate Uriah Faber, who built that market. Sacramento is going to retire that night. Uh, I thought already that you were walking into enemy territory. Now I feel like you're really walking into enemy territory. <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, a fight's a fight. I don't think anybody's mad at me. You know, it's just it's just where she trains. Okay. Know? So I, I think I'm going to get some love from Sacramento. I think you will as well. I was just wondering, opining. It's going to be a very emotional night. And what an honor for you to be headlining that show on Fox, on Big Fox. What was your reaction when you got the call? You know, Paige has been built up. She's a big star now. She's got a lot of momentum. You're going to be her opponent on Big Fox. Um, I think I was more excited to be headlining. Um, you know, it's been a long time since I've fought. Um, and I've just kind of been getting injury after injury and, and just trying to stay positive to the whole thing and um, you know I guess they say it really is true what they say you know patience is a virtue and I was just tr trying to stay patient through it all and, and I and I got the news that um, we were going to headline and I was just really excited yeah I bet what an opportunity um, we had you on the show in July that's when you were preparing to fight Ashling Daly uh, in mm -hmm. September and then you injure your hand again. Uh, that setback, I mean, I can't even imagine, because you've had a lot over the last year and a half. How did that one affect you? Like, did you ever say enough's enough? I can't deal with this anymore? I feel like at that point, it was almost comical. <laughs> I was, 
um, I just, I was so close. I was two weeks away. Um, you know, we had already, I done. I did all my medicals. I, I mean, the light was up in the tunnel, you know. Um, our flights were booked. I, um, me and my husband were planning on staying out in Germany and doing a road trip down to France. Like, we had, everything was mapped out and planned. And it was just, you know, a freak accident. I was sparring and I, I hit the ground on the top of the head. And I felt a tingle go down my arm. And I was like, okay, you know, that's just your bone getting used to punching again. And um, I was trying to shake it off, shake it off, and it just was not feeling any better. And that, when the round was over, I took my glove off and I saw this huge lump in my hand, and I just got a huge lump in my throat. And uh, searching for the coach, and uh, you know, just trying, trying to be positive still, I guess. And um, you know, I showed it to Coach Wink, and I said, just, just please don't tell me it's broke, you know. And he looked at it, and he's like, Yeah, peanut. It's broke. Oh no! And I was just, I was, I was more crushed that I couldn't fight, that I was so close to fighting, um, and that, you know, and it was all, it was just all taken away, you know, in a split second. Is this the same hand that continues to get injured, or is it a different hand? It's the same hand. Okay. So this that I broke um, in my fight against Magana. And so I've broken this hand a total of four times. Wow. So the first time it was a knuckle, and that was maybe six years ago, seven years ago. But when I fought against Magani, it was actually this bone right here. And, um, you know, the doc advised me to let it heal on its own, to let it heal on its own. And then it blew my knee out. And then when my knee got better, um, I went back into sparring and I broke my hand again. Um, that's when I had to pull out against Tisha. And then... Same thing, Doc was like, you know, I think we just have to really make sure we do some physical therapy on this hand. We don't have to get surgery. Blah, 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 blah. Six months later, and it broke again. Uh, did you have surgery this time? I did. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I was talking to the doc, and he was just like, you know, hindsight, looking back at it all, we probably should have just gotten surgery to begin with. But, you know, there's no point in in trying to be mad and upset about the past, which is, you know, it, it's true, but at the same time, it's just been a really tough year because, you know, while I'm here still training to fulfill my dreams as an MMA fighter, somebody still has to pay the bills, and so my husband is really, he's been working really hard and, you know, working overtime to ensure that you know, my, my daughter can go to the school that she goes to and that um, that we can continue to, to live the life that we live and that I can continue to train and, and not have to go out there and get my job. Yeah. Um, and credit to him for doing that. Uh, did you ever feel the pressure? Like, did you feel like you needed to get a job in the interim? I get it. I mean, outside of being a fighter, I am a mom and a wife. Right. And I have responsibilities as those things. And, um, you know, when, you know, when I'm not bringing any money in financially, it just, it kind of pulls on me. It's just not the type of person I am. I don't want my husband to feel like I'm taking advantage of him. I, I want to be, I want to feel like I'm contributing to the family. And he never, ever makes me feel like um, that I'm not. You know, he knows um, that, what kind of career this is. He knows that, you know, in a split second, I think things can take it away. But... On the other hand, you can, you know, your world can be flipped upside down and everything can be given to you in a split second. So, 
and just try to remain positive and um he never let me he never let me go get a job okay i mean i, I did i picked up some i i started doing cardio kickboxing and um picked up some like seminars here and there to help out but um when i when i was like you know i think i should just get a job my husband's like you do have a job you're yeah. professional fighter. yes <laughs> i like that what a great guy that josh um what a mensch, as we like to call him. Do you know what a mensch is? <laughs> no. It's like a Yiddish word for like a gentleman. Yes, he's he's very much so a gentleman. I mean, since the since the first day I met him, he's always been been very chivalrous and yeah, and he's, he's still that way. One thing that I would really uh, that I think would help your situation is that documentary that was made about you. When are we going to see this documentary, Fight Mom? Right. Yeah, I, you know, it's right there. It's just right on the cusp of breaking through. Um, there's just some some contractual issues that we're trying to work out right now. But, um, you know, we're, we're just waiting for the right moment for it to come out the way that we want it to. Because Sean Menard's been, you know, it's, it's his baby. And he, he doesn't want to just yeah let it, up, let it go to anybody, you know. He just he wants to make sure that when he does let it go, that it flourishes and able to blossom the way it should yes uh well said um and just to be clear did you ever think about stop you know no more fighting because all the injuries i mean that's an important part of your arsenal your hand um yeah. did you ever consider that no i just it's just too soon i just got signed to the yeah. yeah i think i would just i i would i would be a bitter old lady uh-huh. <laughs> um you know that that's just something Coach Jackson and Coach Wink, they all talk about the, the fight the fight game, you know, whether you like to admit it or not, is not learned through the fights. It's learned um, behind the scenes when nobody's watching, you know. Right. It's, uh, it's overcoming the adversities that, that we have to deal with in the shadows. Uh, you recently got cleared, right, medically? Mm-hmm. Um, any apprehension when you're using the hand when you're punching? I mean, is there a mental block that you have to get over? Um, you know, this being the third time that it's broke, I, I think I kind of was am over it. You know? Yeah. Um, it's just weird now that there's a plate. There's a plate in there oh. and six toes, and so it it feels really stable. Actually, um, I'm not worried about bumping into things or anything like that, but. Um, the only thing that I do have to get used to is there being played in there, and um, I think probably grappling is the worst. It just feels weird, you know, rubbing up against your skin. I feel like there's, um, you know, tissues in there and, and cartilage that's tr- like trying to build um, around the plate, and every time I'm scraping up against the cage or up against the floor. Or, even up against my own body, I feel it pulling. So it's just something you have to get used to. Wow. Um, this fight is less than two months away. Is that a good time frame for you? Is it a little soon, but it's a big opportunity, so you're taking the fight as far as the recovery of the hand is concerned? I, I, don't, I think it's perfect timing. Okay. Um, I feel like I've been in camp for over a year. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, uh, you know, the more the more veterans that I talk to like, and, and that I watch, you know, um, John Jones and Cowboy, even Cowboy who likes to throw down and bang is like, you know, sparring's overrated. So I think that was my biggest thing. And I can't spar, but who cares? 
I can do everything else, and I have been. Okay. While my hand's okay. been, you know, out of commission, I've been I've been running every day, hitting um, hitting sprints, shadow boxing, really just trying to use my visualization, doing the strength and conditioning that I, that I can do without using my hand. Basically, doing everything but sparring, and so I'm, I'm in great shape. Um, what are your thoughts on the rise of Paige Van Zandt? What, are, are you impressed? Is it is it a little too much hype for your liking? Let's hear the real thoughts of Michelle Watterson. You know, I think it's great. I actually even sent her sent her out a tweet when she was on Dancing with the Stars. You know, I, I can't. Um, you know, they say don't hate the play, hate the game. You yes. know, her game's good. So um, I can't. I can't hate on that. She's she's a beautiful person. She's a great dancer. As far as her fighting skill, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say she's like amazing. But um, you know, she's where she is now because of her hard work and. And I look forward to fighting her in December. So, so fair to say you're you, you don't think that she's on your level fighting wise. Is that fair? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what in particular, as far as holes in her game, are you seeing right now? I I feel like she's just very green yeah. um, in in the whole aspect of fighting, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like that's the reason why she's been winning a lot of her fights. I mean, it's it's just like dancing. If you dance with somebody that don't know how to dance, they throw you off. They throw your rhythm off. Um, and that's what Paige is doing in a sense. In the fight game, you know, her style is very erratic. It's, it's unpredictable. And it's throwing these girls off because they're used to sparring with people that have a fight rhythm. Right. And, and Paige just doesn't have that, so it's throwing people off. Um, and she's very durable. She's very tough. Like she doesn't give up. I mean, I think that's one of her her great assets. Even in that loss to Rose Namajunas, a lot of people are praising mm-hmm. her for not giving up. Um, do you, do you, do you consider that to be one of her better attributes? That you know, it, it's going to take a lot to finish her to beat her. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess. I mean, durability is an asset, but um, I, I I also think it's dangerous. I don't think you should be okay with taking that much damage. Uh-huh. It's not good spring. Interesting. So you're not a big fan of durability? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we all have our instincts. It's yeah. fight or flight. It definitely has a fight instinct. You know, but, uh, you know, durability can only take you so far until you're only surviving. Sure. Uh, what about that kick that she landed back in uh, August against Beck Rawlings? Were you impressed by that? Uh, I feel like she's been prepping that kick for a long time. I went back and watched a lot of her other fights against some of the other girls. And even against Rose out of desperation in the third or fourth round, I think, she came out with it. Um, so it's not like, I don't think it was like pulled out of her butt, you know. Right, like, right. <laughs> I think she's, she, she throws that and, um, it, you know, you, can, you throw something how many of her times and eventually it'll land just like takedowns. You're going to try to take somebody down. You know, forever and ever in a five-round fight, eventually you yeah. get that person yeah. down. You know? Do you think it was a mistake on the UFC's part to book her against you? Like you're a little too advanced for her? I don't think so. I mean, I feel like with her rise in the in the fight game, in the main, not, even outside of the fight game. I mean, she's been how many fights has she had in the UFC over four, five? Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's been, I've been out for a year, you know, um, so maybe they're thinking that that might be kind of even it out a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what um, their thinking was behind 
behind making it a match, but I know that they thought, hey, let's put this together. I think it'll be a great main event, you know? Yeah, and, and of course, I mean, let's be honest, the elephant in the room, like when we reported it, all the comments were, you're both very attractive women. Do you think that that comes into play here when booking these fights? Like, oh, let's put these two women who are attractive together, main event on Fox. That is the elephant. That's something that people don't want to talk about, but that is the truth, right? You know that. You're no dummy. Yeah, not at all. You know, I've, I've, I've heard it all. I've read it all. It's a battle of the babes, you know, the you know, hottie versus hottie. Right, right. Uh, right. And, you know, at the end of the day, MMA, UFC, it's a, it's, it's entertainment, you know, so people want to see. That's why they put us for main event, you know? Yeah. So I'm not going to knock it. I, you know, I'm just going to roll with the punches. And, and if, if that's what, if being the correct event, then, then I'm going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that poster that that one guy, Boss Logic, did of you, like half of your body, half of her body together? Do you see that? That was amazing. I really liked that one. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Yeah, my mom my mom likes to get all caught up in all the social media about it and she's you know, she's very passionate about her, her daughter and so she can um I think she can get wrapped up into it and she kinda tries to start to pull me in and I kinda have to tell her mom like I don't uh-huh. I don't wanna hear any of this stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what does she say to you? What like what kind of things does she come at you with? Well, so I'm going to start to do this thing on my Instagram, but it's basically things my mom say, you know? Okay. But, uh, so my mom's asking me, you know, uh, what you going to wear for the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, let me get my accent right. Let's it's good. It's good. <laughs> what you going to wear for the press conference? Oh, my mom, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe like some pants and a nice shirt. No, you know, you know, she's going to dress up like a little princess. Look. <laughs> You have to dress better than her, okay? You know, <laughs> make sure you're more sexy. Wow. Mama, it's not about that. Uh, you know, I just want to be comfortable. And so, it's okay, you put the shirt on underneath and maybe you have to kick her in the face or something, it's okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your mom's an instigator. I like it. Yeah, she if, if she was better at typing on the computer and on her phone, she would definitely be at war with all these people that are talking crap. <laughs> does she does she respond to some of them on your Instagram or Twitter? Well, I think she has in the past and then she just gets really flustered and emotional. Okay. And uh, so then I just tell her like not to, you know. She could be like but, your manager, like in pro wrestling, your mouthpiece who talks on your behalf and builds you up since you're you know, like you're you're all nice and, 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 and quiet and shy. She could be the one talking smack about your opponents. She, she definitely could be. She's, um, yeah, you can, if you go to my, she's at almost every one of my fights, and if you go, she's the one, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs, kick her ass, kick her ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing accent. Um, will she be at the fight in Sacramento? Yeah, she should yeah. be. Uh, do, by the way, do you read your Instagram comments? Um, I think, uh, I do and I don't. Okay. Um, I do, but if there are bad things, I just delete them. Okay. I don't let it affect me, you know. Um, but I think you got to take the good with the bad, you know. And uh, it's whatever. That's what social media is about. Right? Yes. People having their having that availability and access to the fighters. That, that I mean, I think MMA athletes more than any other athlete are more in tune with their with their fans. Yeah. Um, 
that you know that can that can be good or that can be really bad depending on how you how well you take you know criticism and hatred i guess I, I feel like you don't get a lot of criticism and hatred to be honest i just feel like you get a lot of weird comments like you know a little bit yeah. of, but i don't think you get a lot of hate like some other people like daniel cormier go on his instagram he gets a lot of hate i don't feel like you get hate you just get like freaky people i don't know why he would He's, i know like, i know <laughs> people are because yeah people people can't say that in space though you know? of course yeah yeah I do. I do weird ones you know let me smell your feet stuff like that yeah, it's just my husband doesn't read it at all. Yeah, I don't blame him. Um, yeah, we just, um, do you, is part of the appeal in this fight as well, um, you beat her, main event Fox, like, it's it's not a shortcut, but it's it's a way to really jump a few steps. Like, beating Ashley Daly on Fight Pass is not the same as beating Paige Van Zandt on Fox. And I know you didn't turn down that fight for this opportunity, but this is really a way to jump, kind of make up for lost time. Do you view that as well? I do. I definitely do. I think you, you put it perfectly. You know, I, I, you know, through having to pull out with Tish Torres and Ashlyn Daly, um, I kind of feel like I have to play a little catch up. But Paige is the perfect person um, to do that with. Um, she's ranked in the top ten. I'm not sure what she's ranked. Um, but outside of her ranking, just um, just her popularity um, amongst um, just the mainstream audience is is what i what i'd like to be able to take advantage of yeah what an opportunity i'm very happy for you welcome back michelle it has been a while i'm looking forward to this fight what a great booking by the ufc it's december 17th live and free on fox from sacramento california michelle waterson versus Paige van zandt long time coming people are excited i wish you the best in training health happiness all that stuff and then i look forward to seeing you in sacramento thank you very much for the time Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. And keep us posted on the documentary, by the way. I will. Okay. Definitely. It is fantastic stuff. I look forward to that. There she is. Michelle Watterson, the Karate Hottie, returns to action in a little less than two months' time, December 17th, on Fox, Sacktown, New Arena, Sacramento Kings. And now, all of a sudden, that card just got a hell of a lot more interesting with the news that Uriah Faber will retire that night one more fight for him it's brad pickett his retirement fight how about that amazing you heard it here first okay you know what's something we haven't done in a long time that's y'all must have forgot and you know what i want to do y'all must have forgot this week we're going to take a trip down memory lane five and a half years ago february of 2011 <laughs> New York Rick is fighting against it, but no, we're doing it because he's fighting against it. Bigfoot Silva defeated Fyodor Milinenko in New Jersey, East Rutherford, East Rutherford, excuse me, former home of the New Jersey Nets, probably his greatest win ever. And why are we highlighting this? Because it was announced on Friday, or at least it was reported on Friday, that Bigfoot Silva has been released by the UFC. Long time coming, probably best for him. I wonder if he's going to continue to fight. In fact, I asked him to come on the show today, but he politely declined. Uh, He's been knocked out a bunch of times lately. He's been fighting a who's who. I mean, it really has been a tough road for him as of late. No gimme fights for Bigfoot Silva in the UFC, and, uh, well, they finally cut bait. And I think that's best for his health. I mean, if he goes somewhere else, I think it's important for him to fight lesser competition to build himself up. Last three fights, Mark Hunt, 
Stefan Struve, Roy Nelson. KO'd in his last two, TKO by Mark Hunt. His last win came in August of 2015. Prior to that, he lost via KO to Frank Mir, Andre Arlovsky, the war with Mark Hunt, the Cain Velasquez fight. I mean, a lot of damage. But he was on top of the world on February 12, 2011, when he defeated Fyodor Milenenko, handing the legend his second loss in a row. And I just remember the... One thing that I'll always remember about that night, and if you recall, that was the first night of the Strikeforce World Grand Prix. That's when they had all those great heavyweight fights. I will remember forever Strike... Uh, excuse me. Uh, well, it was Strike Force, but it was Scott Coker standing in the like entranceway into the arena. He was wearing this trench coat, and I remember him standing there, and there was a camera crew following him. And I don't think I've ever seen that footage, but he wasn't sitting in his usual cage side seat. And this is something I've actually never asked him. He was observing, he was taking it in. It was a packed house. We found out later that the ratings were fantastic on Showtime. And then exactly one month later, we find out that Zufa had purchased Strikeforce. That to me was Strikeforce's last stand, part of the, what was it? The uh, Silicon Valley Sports and Entertainment Group. I think the name of the ownership was, you know, there was an event early March, a week before the announcement, but that was kind of a done deal. I I, kind of wonder if he was nostalgic, if he was observing, if he was taking it in and saying like, this is my last time. This is our last great event. Um, It was was weird because I remember seeing him there and thinking to myself like, why is he standing here? And why is he looking at it this way? Wearing the trench coat? I don't know. The whole thing was just bizarre. Um, And I wonder if in hindsight, he was being reflective, appreciative, and just watching from afar because he built something truly special uh, and it was sort of taken away from him. It wasn't his doing to sell. The owners wanted to sell. Owners of the, uh, the HP arena, the SAP arena, I should call it, and uh, the San Jose Sharks. So anyway, Bigfoot Silva, no longer in the UFC. His contract was brought over after that purchase. He has been released. We don't know about his future just yet. So I wanted to take a trip down memory lane. February 12, 2011, the night Bigfoot Silva defeated Fyodor Milenko via doctor stoppage after the second round. Here it is. Y'all must have forgot. Ariel Hawani post-fight at Strikeforce in New Jersey where Antonio Bigfoot Silva just shocked the world and defeated Fyodor Milenko via doctor stoppage. And Antonio, a lot of people did not think you would actually defeat him. How are you feeling right now? What are the emotions going through your body? Olha, é uma emoção muito grande, porque isso foi um fruto do meu trabalho junto com o meu camp em Boca Raton. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy right now. This is the fruit of a lot of hard work with my camp, with all the guys that train hard with me, and I'm very, very happy. Were you surprised that the doctor stopped the fight between the second and third rounds? Sim, mas quando eu olhei para o outro lado... Yes, but when I looked at him at the other side of the ring, I saw that his eye was very swollen and I would have caused more damage to his eye and ended up hurting him bad. Are you aware whether or not he asked for the stop to be, the, the fight to be stopped, or did the doctor say that it needed to be stopped? Ah, com certeza não foi o Fedo que. Certainly wasn't him. He's fought the best. He's beat the best, and he wouldn't ask to stop. It had to be the doctors. When you were dominating him in the second round, do you think the ref should have stopped the fight? You were landing some big shots on him. No, I don't think so because a good fighter has to fight in the good and the bad, and he's an excellent fighter and he knows how to fight in the, in the weather the storm. You said you expected to face the best Fedor out there. Do you feel as though you fought the best Fedor? Olha, eu acho que sim. Fedor, ele para mim é o melhor. 
ele veio no seu máximo, mas eu também treinei. Yes, I think so, but I also worked very hard. I trained very hard for this fight, so I deserve the victory. Just about yourself, I mean, it's taking you a long time to get a lot of respect in MMA. Uh, it's taking you a long time to crack the top 10, and a lot of people didn't even give you any type of chance going into this fight. Do you feel as though you've proved a lot of doubters wrong tonight? Olha, eu acho que para o lutador merecer respeito, é um longo caminho que ele tem que enfrentar. Ele tem que enfrentar os melhores. E eu venho fazendo isso aos poucos. Vem... It takes a while. You have to beat the best. I've shown the world that I can do it. And you just have to keep on fighting to be the best. Do you think he will retire? Não, eu acho que não. Eu acho que o Fedor ainda tem muito o que mostrar. Não, eu não acho que ele tem muito o que mostrar ainda. Eu acho que ele vai voltar, lutar de novo, e ele vai voltar melhor, e ele ainda vai fazer muitos bons lutas. Final question, who do you want next? Alistair Overeem or Fabrício Verdum? Olha, eu, eu não gostaria de lutar com, com um brasileiro, principalmente porque o Verdum é um grande amigo. My... I wouldn't like to fight Verdun, he's a Brazilian, he's my friend, but at the same time, I'm going to route for him very much to make sure that the final will be a Brazilian final. And if I may, Alex, to you, I know we're in a rush, but it's been such an emotional last couple of weeks for you. What does this mean? You've been with this man for so long, and to have some positive news in your life for the first time in, in, in many weeks, how are you feeling? I, I, can't, I can't even describe how I feel. We always joke, me and him, he's lying, he's lying. we always joke that we were, one day we're going to get to the beach, and I guess we finally got there. Congratulations to you guys. It's an amazing victory. We look forward to big things from you in the second round, Antonio. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming watch Strike Force Showtime. This is the best tournament in the world. Thank you, everybody. Great moment there for Antonio Silva and his longtime manager and friend, Alex Davis, who is still with him, by the way. Uh, very cool to look back at that. Uh, if you recall, Antonio Silva went on, of course, to the next round of the tournament. He ended up getting knocked out by a young man named Daniel Cormier. A lot of people didn't think Daniel Cormier would knock out Antonio Bigfoot Silva. That was on the card in Cincinnati. The Josh Barnett, Sergei Haritanov card also made famous by the fact that on that night, Luke Rockhold became the Strikeforce champion, defeating Jacare Souza. That was a stack card, one of the best Strikeforce cards ever. Now, at that point, we were in the Zufa era, and that fight ended up being Bigfoot Silva's last strike force fight before they moved over to the UFC and his debut came against Cain Velasquez went on a nice little run defeating Travis Brown and Alistair Overeem very famous knockout stood on top of him over him I should say and yelled a few things at him but then after that it was a tough go for Bigfoot Silva just one win in the span of one two three four five six seven eight fights uh, a lot of damage and uh, now his UFC career has come to an end. Wish him the best, and I think a lot of people wouldn't agree with that call. Hopefully, he doesn't take any more damage, and maybe he could take a page out of your eye Fabers and uh, move on to something else. Let us bring in Mr. New York Rick at this point. New York Rick, are you there? I'm here. Oh, there he is. What's up? What do we? Well, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. Uh, what are we rocking over there? Well, Let's... I mean, we're rocking the bringer of rain cap obviously mm -hmm. from our friend uh hayden noreen um you may remember from uh back i want to say it was I, i'm forgetting what month it was um but it was a few months ago um i braided my hair on the show actually Paige braided my hair on the show no who was it it wasn't Paige. it was sarah sarah it was sarah who braided my hair on the show um and then hayden 
uh, graciously donated $100 to Movember. I matched that. We did some good for uh, men's health awareness. And as a, as a thank you for that, he sent us some, some ball caps. Me, the Josh Donaldson, obviously. Yes. And then yours is right behind you on uh, the shelf over there. Oh, is it? Oh, wow. So you got the... Whoa, there goes my Noad Lahad hat. Um, <laughs> you've got the bringer of rain hat. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a week late because, as we all know, I'm trying not yeah, to... Yeah, he wanted... He, I remember him telling me when he asked for the address, he was trying to get it here last week. And I've got the HDMH hat, which is Marcus Stroman's catchphrase, if you will. Do you know what it stands for? Something, Did I tell you? Something about height not mattering. He said it in the in the Height note. doesn't measure heart. Ah, I like that. That's what Marcus Stroman is it's all about. It's not as cool as Donaldson, but it's cool. Yeah, I'm very it's sad cool. about all of this. I'm very sad that the Blue Jays are no more. But I am excited about the Cubs and the Indians. Do you realize what's going on? I know you're not a baseball fan, but there's history being made here. Come on. 1908 was the last time the Cubs won the World Series. Last time they made it to the World Series, 1945. Last time the Indians made it to the World... Excuse me, won the World Series was 1948. And it's crazy because all of a sudden the 216, Cleveland, which you know I, I feel very strongly about. I got a lot of love for Cleveland. Don't even try On this. Tuesday, tomorrow... A little over 24 hours from now will be game one of the World Series and game one of the NBA season. Uh, they're they're In- putting up the banner. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, though, that my beloved New York Knicks are going to spoil so, said party so you've, and you've beat the Cavaliers. Perfectly. Yes. We have two questions here. Oh, wow. Literally asked by the fans. Ready? I'm going okay. to full screen it. First one. Which bandwagon are you jumping on? As the fans know, you are the hugest bandwagon jumper in sports. Uh, this How dare one, you? is regarding the playoffs cubbies or or indians which which bandwagon are you jumping on actually before we go to that thank you hayden um really appreciate it yes. you can follow him r-h-n-a-r-i-n-e on twitter good dude yes um, I, I love this thank you so much for the hat really really it, it, it really means appreciate a lot. it oh and you know what's funny it says inside the hat you never know which is something I like to say a lot of times okay go. so um you know i i, I don't appreciate this uh this the people know the people uh, already know. This insinuation that I'm a bandwagon jumper, I, I live and breathe with my teams. Um, when have I ever... Okay, All 30 of them in NBA the and all... <laughs> you know as well as anyone that I'm the most tortured sports fan living on earth. <laughs> Montreal Expos don't exist. Okay, I, I now am a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays only because I don't want to be a total asshole and make my kids root for a team that doesn't exist. I mean, it's the least I can do. It's not be selfish. No, you have to pass down the suffering. That's how it works. There is no suffering to be passed on. They don't exist. No, yeah, that's the most suffering. Oh, stop it. You can't do that to a kid. You'll understand one day. And then the Knicks, I will never waver. I will never jump off that bandwagon. Except when Steph Curry's involved. Oh, stop it with that. I have to pick a team. If you're asking me who do I want to win between the Cubs and the Indians, I'm going to pick someone. I like to have... The Cubs, of course. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, 1908. No, but is there also not this feeling of the the cleveland which has been tortured for so long as a town in but general not as long now they're getting all these champions it would almost be look poetic. this is this is um a, a sports television executive's dream fox is over yeah. the moon i mean the ratings are going to be fantastic probably better than the ones when the red sox made it right in 2004 you can't go wrong but the and you know are, the, are the browns any good no, they suck there. They I suck? think they're 0-6. Okay. They got all the suffering from Cleveland <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the Indians and Cavs. But they're both kind of lovable losers. Right. So you can't go wrong. 
I just think that everyone deep down is happy. I mean, most people are probably happy for the Cubs, except for the Indian fans. Cleveland fans are so insecure. Like, I gave props to the to the Cubs. I was like, hey, Cubs fans, congrats. And they're like, what about us? When I did give them props when they beat the Blue Jays. But they're so like, what do you care? What do you want my props for? But all the tweets are going like, what about us? Where's the love for the Indians? Where's the love? Let's start with changing your team name. How about that? And then Ooh. while we're at it, let's start with changing your team Hot logo. Teams. I feel like they're they're kind of slowly moving away from it. Because now they go with the C as opposed to the, you know, the 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 mascot. Yep. But come on. Okay, so Cubs, it is history. Yeah. What for the Cubs? Okay, now that segues into our next one, which okay. you also addressed. Yes. Is it, you know, as you're the biggest Golden State fan in, I'm in existence, I'm not a Golden State fan. That can Golden such... State break their own record? Who's going to be MVP? I know it's going to be one of your boys, probably Steph Curry, right? Your your hero. Shut up. Um, are, are you trying to take away <laughs> from my Knicks who are going to spoil the party? Well, the second part of this is how many points difference are my Cavaliers going to destroy your Knicks by? Uh, lest we forget a couple years ago when it was LeBron James's long-awaited return to Cleveland. Who was the team that he played in said return? Uh, a New York Knickerbockers team led by one Travis Ware, <laughs> <laughs> who completely urinated all over that party. And so we've been there before, and we shall do it again tomorrow night. NBA and- champion, J.R. Smith. Okay, we don't have time for this nonsense. Okay. Um, Uriah Faber, your y- thoughts? Yes. Uh, I mean, what's there to say? Obviously, Hall of Famer in a Hall of Fame that doesn't exist, but in every <laughs> yes. Hall of Fame, in every Hall of Fame that does, a, a unanimous uh, selection for Hall of Fame. Um, interesting that you know the way he put it, it's it's a downright um, reasonable argument saying. I didn't get it done in the UFC, but I was 31 years old by the time that opportunity came around. I dominated that weight class, my weight class, um, when when it mattered, and uh, that that's the story that that he'll tell and that people will remember. And, and he's he's right about that. I don't think anybody uh, is going to look at Uriah Faber and said, oh, you know what? He never got that UFC title uh, because he was the featherweight kingpin for so long." Yeah, I mean, it's a it's kind of a stupid question to ask, or I hate asking that question because he deserves better. You have to ask it, but anyone who doesn't recognize that he was the king of the lighter weights, that he put WC on the map, that he was one of the major reasons why they were so successful as an organization. He was the face of that company. Yeah, he, and- he literally carried that company on his back. The first ever WC pay-per-view was headlined by him in yep. Sacramento, highest rated show, was headlined by him in Sacramento, the Jens Pulver fight. Um, when he lost to Mike Brown, you remember when he lost to Mike Brown? Yeah. Like that felt like, 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 yeah. like an earthquake. Yep, it was seismic. Um, it was it was surreal to see him at lose. The, yeah, at the time that was the you know that was one of the biggest upsets ever. It just felt like it could never happen. But there is an era of fans who who grew up with only recognizing the UFC, and they might not know about Uriah Faber and and what he was able to do. Um, before he entered the UFC, mm-hmm. but at the same time, his career in the UFC is nothing to to you know raise Scoff your at, nose yeah. at either. Yeah. He he had a damn good career. He just never he got into the title fight plenty of times. Some will say at times undeserving. Some will say uh, who else are they going to put in there? He was one of the only guys at the, in the division at that time. Um, but it, overall, just you know one of the most stellar careers uh, in MMA history. Absolutely. Um, and and going out still as a viable contender, a viable fighter, yeah. not a guy who's who he's he's been fighting this long and he's not going out like you said um, as somebody who you need to drag out of the cage. Um, he's he's ne- as he said he's never been uh, knocked unconscious. It's it's really been 
um, an incredible career. No, nothing. Uh, I mean, you you can almost run out of things to say about him. He's it's no serious injuries incredible. as well. He's yeah. built a team, and when he was hurt, he would fight through it. Yeah, uh, I used to always tell him that like and i still have told him this I, I said it recently to him that he reminds me a lot of oscar de la Hoya in the sense that you get the sense that he's going to be very successful mm-hmm. in the fight game from a business standpoint that he can be a promoter that he could be a manager that he could be a gym owner that he can cultivate new talent um you know he had uh, what was that name of that brand that he had uh form athletics remember he had that yep. and then he has uh torque which he's a big part of i mean if you follow him on any kind of social media you can see that Uri Faber has his hand in a lot of different departments, a lot of different businesses. He he's a, just a very smart guy. I mean, the the Faber construction, um, and what a beautiful thing! Like to me, it's just as commendable to know when to say when to recognize. Wow, the UFC is coming to this new arena in Sacramento. I think it's called like the Golden One Bank Center yeah, or something like that. That's right. Um, and that's his hometown. That's the Golden One Center, um, and, and and that's you know where he was made famous that's where he sold out so many shows and, wow this is a perfect opportunity on fox this is great i wonder if brad pickett is going to retire after this fight like we can have a retirement versus retirement fight here uh loser and winner leaves town match. yeah <laughs> well uriah is not going to leave town but i get your point <laughs> i just think it's it's super commendable in this day and age to really recognize in combat sports when that moment comes because as we know not a lot of guys do that uh, and, and he had, he's done it all. He's accomplished it all. No one wants to see Uriah Faber go through the motions. And I wonder how hard it is for him to get up for some of these fights. You know, fighting a Jimmy Rivera on pay-per-view, with all due respect to Jimmy Rivera, it, it's got to be tough after losing to Cruz again and maybe not being in that title hunt anymore with all the young guns coming up. So th- I think this is uh, this I, is a great call in favor. And, and I don't doubt that he can beat most of that division still. Yeah, still. I don't think I'll have a problem getting up for this one, though. Oh no! Wow, and what a what a way to uh, to end it. What a scene it will be when he comes out to that yep. song, "California Love." Says the high mom. Uh, I hope that they show that on television. I don't know if they will because it's Fox and they've got commercials, but they need Rosie to show that. Rosie in house. Oh man, my mom walking him out. They. <laughs> She's gonna love it. Um, so that's a new piece of news. There's a lot to get to. Um, okay, let me run down some things here. Did you watch? bellator on friday i did not i was at glory did you see how was glory good show really good show any Mickey news Holston there retained simon marcus back on track um dustin jacoby uh, blocked the kick broke his arm uh simon marcus really packed the wall up in that one so simon marcus wins simon marcus wins he is the champion no no no, no. <laughs> he just lost his belt in jersey come on okay sorry it's very hard to keep up with all this uh but was it a good show <laughs> really really good show i believe tj dillshaw was there TJ was there. Uh, Joseph Benavidez was there. Um, Neil Magny was there. Wow. Uh, who else? Neil Magny fighting Johnny Hendricks at 207 also. Johnny Hendricks saying last week, I think it was to ESPN, that uh, if he loses to Neil Magny, he's going to retire. Did you hear that? I did not hear that. But that's What do you uh, make of that? I don't know if that's the why. Why put that all on the line like that? Maybe you got to get yourself up, but that's not that's not something I'd probably be. I feel like every time someone says that, like the if I lose, I'm going to retire, they never actually retire, they never but, actually they lose, but they always lose. But they always lose. Remember Vinny Magalhaes saying that it's against not, Anthony Parrish? Uh, it seems like you're really trying to motivate yourself more than anything else. It, uh, there's really not any stakes there. You, you could just renege on that. It does sort of feel like this is not do or die, but a super duper duper important fight for him. Like mm. thinking back, no? 
After the Kelvin Gaslam loss and the Wonder the thing, Boy loss. They're all important. It's like you lose a few in a row and and this one's important. The next yeah. one's important. They're all important. It's it's like football. Um you don't get you don't get to play the next night. So it, they all count. They all really count and they and they matter a lot. So I don't know. I don't I don't think stuff like that, that added motivation stuff is that great, but especially against a guy like Neil Magny. If anything, Neil Magny, the opponent can use this as some sort of insult and be like, what? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, what are you, what are you trying to say here, buddy? Um, but, and use uh, that as motivation. I like that fight a lot. We'll see, we'll see how it shakes out, but I like that fight a lot. Okay, so the reason why I asked you about Bellator yeah. was that they did this quote-unquote debate, which didn't really end up being a debate. That. I ended up seeing okay, that. Okay, so you saw that. Yeah. I mean, what did you make of it? Because I have very strong thoughts on it. Um... <laughs> What did I think of it? Okay, let me tell you my thoughts. Yeah, you want to I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so, I'm, I'm tired of the Tito Ortiz shtick. And at first I was like, oh, this is smart, Bellator. First of all, it wasn't a debate. This, did you notice that, okay, there was clearly a producer that told them, you guys are like, you're going to be here, Chael. You're going to be here, Tito. And you can look at each other. But did you mm-hmm. notice that they kept looking at each other? Yeah. They're not in the same room. Nope. What were you looking at? You were looking at a wall. Like, does anyone who's watching that think that they're actually looking at each other when they're making these fake faces. There is a fine line and I get what they're doing. And Bellator does a nice job of embracing the pro wrestling, the showmanship and all that. But there's a fine line between overproducing and underproducing. Organic rivalries and trash talk. Chael Sonnen does not need to be overproduced. Chael Sonnen doesn't need to be told, look in this direction. Chael Sonnen doesn't need to be put in a debate kind of setting. That's overproducing in my opinion. And if you overproduce a Tito Ortiz, who is always overproducing, if you get what I'm saying, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel authentic. To me, like I was saying on the beat on on Thursday that I am over this feud. I'm over this rivalry. I'm just over Tito in 2006. Now, if he wants to reinvent himself or if he wants to go back to the Huntington Beach bad boy, then okay, I could get into it. But this was so cringeworthy. I was like, oh my God, what are we watching? And then the juice box, that's overproducing. You plan that. I don't want to see that. You have to make it feel real. It felt like a bad TNA skit. And that's like the worst thing that you can do. I'm echoing your thoughts. Interestingly, as you were just speaking, you said you're over Tito Ortiz in 2006. You meant 2016. Yes. But that's almost, <laughs> that's almost after Because his shtick is so <laughs> yeah. 2006. Um, but uh, I was okay with the, the faux stare down. Oh, just come because, on. I mean, like, think it's about... It's not real. Yeah, but I have a surprise for you. Those those posters, they actually weren't in the same room oh, when they make those either. Oh, it. stop it. It's the idea that someone said, hey, he's going to be on this um, side. You're going to be on this side. That Look part, at each other and make that part evil the, faces. Yeah, that part was the least hokey for me. The rest of it was just not good. I mean, let them... That bothered me so much. It would have been interesting if they just gave, didn't tell them, didn't prep them, gave them a topic, let them speak on it. Um, and also, and there were no topics. Did, had some kind of real debate. Yeah, like I thought they were going to debate. I mean, obviously you have to sell yeah, the fight. Yeah, of course. But there were no topics like, what are you going to do to this guy? And what are yeah. you going to do to that guy? And what are you going to do to this guy? And, yeah. Uh, and, and also, Chael, God bless him. Now, he was talking about something so inside. Like, I think he was referring to the fact that Tito had his car repossessed. Yeah. Who the hell knew that? Chael Sonnen. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming with the, with the deep cuts. But, yeah, maybe that's good. I happen. mean, we're all talking about it, so it, it at least got that done. But are we sort of mocking it? Like, did that make you hey, any whatever. more interested in the fight? No, not more. But I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still interested. 
but no, not anymore. Absolutely not. And there's, it's, it's weird. Like the Phil Davis, I don't know if you saw this commercial. Yes, 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 yes. I actually feel like that's good producing. Like that's uh-huh. a way of getting a guy. Wow. No? No, I'm saying that's not lie. Like there's there's many more elements in play there. That was very well done, but that's not, you, you can take multiple takes on that. You can do it right. And, My point and is, the best here product. we have a guy in Phil Davis who's not the most eloquent speaker. Like he's just a guy who speaks well. He's not a trash talker per se. And in fact, he has been criticized for... You know, having hokey trash talk, remember? <laughs> yes. So so here we go. We'll put him in this scenario where he's playing off the election, and it's sort of funny, but it also kind of makes me like him. He's endearing. That's good producing. Now you have Chael, who all you have to do with Chael Sonnen is give him a microphone. That's it. And you put him up against, it's just, what? Do you, come on, guys. Come on. It, we don't need to do it like this. Just let them speak to each other. Just let them go. Don't do the whole. Yeah. It's it was very. Dis- I was you very. Just, dis- you just put them on Skype. You have Chael close the laptop, say kaboom, and yes. say goodnight. Yeah, or have them there in person. No, or well, then you do the real stare, uh, the real stare down, and it will be much better. Yeah. Um, okay, so that kind of. I mean, I was just. I was already. <laughs> I was already down on the whole thing, and then they did that. And I have to admit, maybe I'm not that smart, but it took me a minute to understand what he was doing with the juice box. No, I think it took a lot of people a minute. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think you're alone in that. Now, in hindsight, everybody's starting to, to realize it and, and recognize it, but now it's become a bit of a punchline. Um, Not in a good way, though. A fruit punchline? Yeah, but it was. Um, I think it was apple juice. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't well executed, and if you have to explain it, it's not a good joke. Exactly. If you have to explain it, it is not a good joke. Uh, Bobby Lashley, victorious. There's something weird about Bobby Lashley. What is that? He's dominant. It feels like he wins all the time, yet I don't feel like he's really truly improved. Well, what do we really know about Bobby Lashley? We don't know much of his personality. Sure. I haven't been really exposed to Bobby Lashley. I know he's a a tremendous physical specimen, but that's about it. What else do I really know about him? Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, look, he he helped uh, Donald Trump shave Vince McMahon's hair. I don't. I didn't know that. But you didn't know that I, WrestleMania. That would be interesting to, to, for me to know. Uh, he did that at WrestleMania, a very famous moment. I think it was in Detroit. Anyway, it just kind of always feels like the same fight. First of all, sure, he has been fighting no name guys for long enough. Like at this point, let's just put him in a title fight. Wow. No, no he's been from doing no this names for a title fight. Well, how long are we going to fight no names for? Well, I mean, maybe every fight, maybe every fight, he's fighting sort of an out of you know out of shape heavyweight. It's the same fight. He mauls them, ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. Sometimes it extends to the second round. He'll take them down again. There's nothing really. No, maybe one more step up instead of the title fight. It was interesting that Josh Barnett was in his corner this time, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, give him a step up. A step up. There is no step up in it's the belt or heavyweight. Fight? Yeah, it? it's just title uh, fight. Well, it's only like Bobby Lashley for the title fight. I'm in. Who is the Bellator heavyweight champion? There isn't one. Isn't it? Didn't they just vacate? Yeah. They just... So just put him in a title fight. Bobby Lashley versus another tomato Why can? couldn't this fight be a title fight? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Why couldn't it? Oh, jeez. No? Um, yeah. Are you confident that the GSP situation is going to be resolved? Yeah, I just think it doesn't behoove anybody to, to spend this, uh, this time you know, fighting. In court, that is. Sorry. The fact that he Let was in Vegas that. a couple days after, does that give you... Yeah, it makes me think. You know, yeah. all the, It seems like all the disgruntled people are all of a sudden in Vegas. Jose Aldo showing yes. up in Vegas. GSP showing up in Vegas. Oh, by the way, speaking of Jose Aldo, he put out that tweet that he's now rethinking his retirement. Yeah, Did you all see of that? a sudden. But then at the end, he said, thanks, Russia. <laughs> Did you notice that? I didn't notice that. Yeah. And I thought it was like... 
you know, it was bad translation. It was supposed to be, you know, thanks for the cheese. His, I don't know, Russian dressing. You yeah. remember when Connor retired? This was yeah, yeah, his yeah. way. Uh, but actually, thanks, I, I gained some clarification on that. What? Thanks is for this a Habib shout out? No, no, no. Oh, that'd be interesting, though. Where is it? Oh, here it is. I just want to read it. Um, how do you translate something? I know you could do it on the Google. Twitter app. Oh, I got to do that. Anyway, he put out a tweet. It was October 21st at 7.14 saying that he's rethinking things. And I was told that Jose Aldo receives an incredible amount of love from the Russian fans. He was mm. in Russia recently and he was blown away by the love that he received. And he gets apparently a lot of love from the Russian fans on social media. And so that was his way of being like, thank you guys for reminding me why I do this, for the love, for the encouragement. And now he's rethinking things. And I was told that the meeting was very cordial. It wasn't contentious. It was a good meeting with his team and the UFC. But yeah, that's what the Thanks Russia meant. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could have explained Habib it a little better. versus Aldo in Russia. Could you imagine? Main event. Vladimir Fedor, Putin. Co-main. Wow. There we go. Yeah, so that's the Aldo situation. But you're right. Um, even even Anderson Silva. All of a sudden, you come to Vegas. He didn't go to Vegas, starting. but he kind of backtracked as well. Um, it's amazing. I, yeah, you speak I mean, up. This is what happens. They get disgruntled. They speak up. The UFC calls well, them. They meet. And then they... GSP is a little, you know, more than that. Like, yes, of course. Aldo and GSP are a little bit, you know, but... Um, as I like, I just don't think, I mean, I can't imagine GSP has the means to wait this out, but I just don't think he has the time. I don't think, you know, at his age, he can afford to, um, not monetarily, but just with time, I don't think he can afford to, to sit this out and and fight this battle. The other thing about, about Aldo is Connor fights in 19 days. Yeah. So at this point you might as well just wait it out, right? See, see how it shakes out after. It's not like he has to wait an extra three months. Yeah. That's what I would do. Well, um, see. speaking of Bellator, yeah, uh, I took the family on Saturday to Dave and Buster's. Yes, and I texted you about this because yep. we were sort of on the fence looking for something to do, and we took them to the Dave and Buster's in Times Square, Wonderland, and, my and, favorite place. And, and, and you're obviously a, a, a big admirer of all things Dave and Buster's. Absolutely. So I figured, you know, look, you know, um, New York Rick is a man of uh, many fine tastes. <laughs> Uh, obviously, if he likes this place, it's going to be a great time for all involved. I mean, to say that I was blown away by how crappy this place was. Oh, don't you. To say that I wanted how to run home, run home to take a shower. Uh, what was it? What is going on? At this Hi- place? First hygienic? Of all, it is not. <laughs> I go to this place. First of all, there's this is the one in Times Square and it's like a department store. You got to take a, a thing. Is the Times Square one not a good one to yeah, go to? I mean, you know, you You've been through Times Square, yes? Yes. I mean, look at the rest of it. Yeah. I go out to the one in Long Island. That's my move. Oh, you go all the way there? I'm not that far in Queens. Oh. Um, is it much different? Yeah, completely clean, much more space. There's a lot of different things. Like, you can sign up for this, play, drink, yeah. eat. And so, I thought that we get a seat and then we can go play the games, which are all too old for my kids anyway. But they... The amazing thing about having kids four and two is that you don't actually have to pay for any of the games. They think that they're they playing. They just look at it. No, they think that they're playing the demo. You know, like you couldn't just... put them on the Papa shot on the basketball. No, that's, they're, they're way too short. You have no idea about. I don't. You have I'm, I'm no frame of reference. This. Yeah, I'm very. Um, but there were some that they liked, uh, Jurassic Park and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. The lady sits us down, and 
and I'm like, okay, we're just going to go play. And she's like, uh, excuse me, I don't know if you've ever been to any restaurants before, but in this world, you cannot go to a restaurant and not sit down when you're seated. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you for the, uh, the lesson <laughs> on restaurant etiquette. And then at that point, I was afraid that she was going to spit in my, in my food. So we went to just play the games. And of course, my kids want to cash in. And I thought of you because of the card. Yep. And you get, I chose the option of paper tickets. Paper tickets so they get the excitement. Yeah, yeah of, that's good. Smart move. You can't get anything. I got like 30 tickets and you can't even get like yeah, a, well, a piece you, of gum. You and your kids need to get better at the games, my friend. You <laughs> it's know, you gotta it's call too it hard. Pro. Um, so my kids were super sad. So then I took the rest of the card and I went to play a game quickly. Like um, it was sort of like a roulette. No, it was uh, what was it? It was you spin the big wheel. No, I know it was. What's that thing called when you go with like you got to get three of the same? Oh, uh, slots. slots. Yeah, yeah. I did that. Got a bunch of tickets. Got them a couple of gummy hands that that's, stick that's, against that's the wall. That's a good time right there. It was not a good time. And then we got the heck out of there. And now you all have very. Uh, bad diseases bad yeah yes. bad uh, illnesses yeah no dave and busters is a great place what do you possibly do there like what exactly are you actually doing there i'm getting myself some tickets i'm saving up i've got like I don't how know, many do you have Sixty thousand tickets or something like what that. are you saving up for like a a video game set? i don't know nothing i actually want what could you possibly get for sixty thousand right now like i think an old last generation video game system or like a speaker really i don't actually care it's all about the the What's your game? Of tickets, Papa Shot. That's that's one of the main ones. <laughs> um, I just like, isn't it? Didn't you go after your wedding to Dave and Buster's? I hundred percent did. I mean, that to me is just my wife loves it. I love it. <laughs> so you went in your Dave outfits, or did you change? Bring, bring me that sponsorship. Yeah, bring it to me. I kept thinking of like Josh Thompson and Tito and King Mo. Just being I'll like, I'll be right there with them. I'll sell this. Yeah, I bet you will. I will. I will sell this. Dave and Buster's, come, come talk to me. And for the record, I saw a poster there for UFC 204, Ooh. Hendo Bisping, which they haven't updated yet. Yeah, I saw no Bellator signs there. That's what I'm saying. Maybe you strip that and put the Bellator signs up. Jeez. Yeah, where are the Bellator signs? Not good. Yeah. Not good. Do we have any questions? Yeah, let's get to some questions. Okay. A lot of changes, a lot of upheaval in the UFC. Oh, yes. I wanted to talk about this. Um, this, this fan, Lamont always in the comment section really appreciate his comments every week uh and questions every week can't f he, he's saying he can't help but feel slightly concerned following all the departures voluntary and non-voluntary um that have helped build the usc into what it is today so a lot of the names that have that have either uh been let go or left voluntarily are names that people were familiar with these yeah. are the people that they recognize they they feel that they built this brand um is it, what's that impact going to have for fans do they have anything to worry about? What are we looking at for, for the next couple of you know months into the next years? You don't have anything to worry about. The UFC is in closing. It's not going under. No, not necessarily. But no, not not at all. But those people I get the created the product that they love. Are they are they gonna have a different product? It does sort of feel like the times they are changing, the sport is changing, the personnel obviously changing. Uh, this is what I'll say about the layoffs. Again, as I said at the top. Once the company was sold, especially bought by this media giant in WME IMG, obviously changes were coming. Now, the tough part for the employees, some of whom are now the ex-employees, um, was that they knew that changes were coming. So a lot of them, I mean, think about this. 
the sale happened three and a half months ago. Let's talk about everything that has happened pertaining to this story. First, the reports come out, the rumors, right? I mean, these rumors started way back in March or April. Then they really start to get hot and heavy with some of the reporting by Darren Ravel, Jeremy Botter. I contributed a little bit. Um, and this is now May, June. Dana White's going on, Dan Patrick and other shows saying we're not for sale. They are putting out internal memos saying that we're not for sale. Okay, all's well and good. UFC 200 happens. Three straight night of shows. And not only that, it wasn't exactly smooth sailing. It was John Jones getting pulled, having to change things up, the Brock Lesnar thing, Misha Tate main event, all this stuff. I mean, they had to work very long hours to pull off these three straight nights. And it's just hard enough to put on three straight nights. It's not like they're adding personnel to put on these events, uh, even if they're happening in the same city. The Monday after UFC 200, one of the most you know hectic fight weeks ever, it's announced, actually it was late Sunday night, Vegas yeah. time, that it's first reported by local news outlet that they are selling the company. Official press release around 5 a.m. Vegas time, Monday morning. So a lot of these people may be waking up to this news after probably needing like a vacation, a week off, certainly a day or two off after that UFC 200 week. A lot of them are waking up to the news that the company has been sold, new owners are coming in, they didn't have a percentage in the company, most of them. Oh, by the way, your future is probably uncertain. Not a lot was said. It was like a 15-minute State of the Union address. New owners do not talk to the employees. So think about that from early uh, July till mid-October. There's a ton of uncertainty. And I kept checking in with a lot of people. I mean, you get to know these people. You see them all the time. You know, some of them become friends. And I was being told like horror stories that it was it was the, the, the mood there was like a morgue, that it was depressing, that people were leaving at 5 p.m. No longer were they putting in the extra hour or two. 5 p.m. comes, everyone's out. Everyone's worried about their jobs. People are jumping ship. People are looking for other jobs. People are nervous. People are anxious. I mean, I was told that the, the, um, the morale was lower than low. And then the rumors start to come that it's happening you know, three weeks ago and it has been pushed back. And people are feeding me this info. People are telling us this. Um, so you know, you can't imagine what it's like at Zoof HQ. Finally, Monday of last week, uh, a large percentage of the Asian office gets let go. And then Tuesday, what I was told the scene was straight out of that film. Um, what's that film? Uh, Up in the Air with George Clooney, uh, where they come in and they let you go, like an outside company comes in and lets you go. That everyone was just sitting at their at their desk, waiting for the email, waiting to be summoned to go meet with WMEHR and being told, okay, thank you for your services. You know, here's a packet or two, here's a box. Appreciate your time. That was the scene. And it wasn't just like, you know, low rank and file employees. We're talking about, you know, top level executives. We're talking about like Marshall Zelaznik, who has been there for over 10 years, who started that UK office, essentially. Gary Cook, who was a top, you know, level executive. Um, Shanda Maloney, or is it Mahoney? Excuse me, Shanda Mahoney of, uh, you know, the social media team. So these are like the bosses of employees who are being like, oh, but some of the employees are remaining. So you can understand it's kind of like a rudderless ship now. But I was told it was around 60 to 80 employees or so who were let go, all told. Tom Wright in Canada, the next day, they delayed the Canadian office um, uh, layoffs because Cormier and Rumble were in Toronto that Tuesday doing media. Tom Wright is squaring them off in Toronto. Less than 24 hours later, he is being let go. That's incredible. And so, you know, I was told that a lot of the familiar faces, you can probably guess who I'm referring to, 
uh, were not there to say, at least say goodbye. I'm not talking about you know holding their hands and allowing them to cry on their shoulders, but at least to say goodbye. Uh, some people have told me that you know Lorenzo Fertitta watching from afar was a little disappointed in how this was handled and has offered jobs to people um, within his own company, Red Rock, Station Casinos, etc. Uh, I just feel like it could have been handled from start to finish, including with the Lorenzo, you know, denials, the the Zufa denials of of the old regime. It could have just been handled better. Those people work incredibly hard. There are some amazing people that work at Zufa, and you know, I have no reason to sort of you know bang the drum for them. I mean, look, when my thing happened, I didn't hear from anyone. I heard from maybe one or two people there, and I get it. They were probably you know scared or whatever but i know i know where their hearts are and i know that they're very 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 hardworking and good people moms and dads they deserve better and let's be honest i mean we've criticized their promotion we've criticized their marketing we've criticized their pr let's not pretend that the old regime was this you know amazingly well-oiled machine that was just putting on amazing events, promoting them the right way, putting on the best kind of marketing. You know, let's not pretend that it was all, you know, hunky-dory. Let's not pretend that WME-IMG isn't a beast when it comes to media. They don't know how to promote. They don't know how to market. I mean, a lot of the people that they said goodbye to, they have people who they believe are in position right now to do better work. And I don't blame them for doing that. I mean, that was to be expected. You buy something, if I buy a house, I'm gonna put my own spin on it. I'm gonna put my own touch on it. And that's what they're doing. I don't think that they should be begrudged, reprimanded, criticized for doing what they did. Maybe it could have been done a little more tactful, but that's business. Um, I just think fans are kind of, wow, look at all these names leaving and they're kind of shocked by it all. But And maybe they didn't really understand what was going to happen. Um, but this was to be expected. Probably took a little longer. Maybe they had to really gain, you know, an understanding on what goes on. They don't run a fight promotion. It's a little different than some of these other businesses. But it is a little bit sad to see these men and women leave, especially some of them after a decade who worked so hard in building the UFC what it is today. There's no denying that it is a giant, that it was incredibly successful. They're part of the reason why it was sold for $4 billion. Um, and now they're just, you know, they're just gone and a new era is coming in. New people, new faces are coming in. And it's kind of, it's a little, it's a little scary for all of us involved. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to change the company? What kind of personal touch are they going to put on the organization? So the unknown is always a little bit daunting. It's always a little bit, you know, frightful. And, and, and we're wondering, is this going to be a good thing for the sport, the growth of the sport, the evolution of the sport? I just, you know, my big takeaway was these people deserve maybe a little bit better. Uh, and I hope that they're being take, taken care of. I hope that they're getting good severance packages and, and they're getting paid as they say goodbye, sort of equal to what they put in. Obviously, you can never put a number on that, but I hope that the ones that put in a lot of years, a lot of time are getting paid nicely as they're moving on to their next endeavor. It's scary, man. There's one guy in particular, like this guy, Peter Vesey, who was working in the New York office, left Fox to go work for the UFC earlier this year, and he's out of a job. I mean, there's countless stories like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it was a bummer to see, but I think we have to remember two things when we talk about these layoffs. A, the old UFC wasn't perfect. Everything top to bottom, it wasn't perfect. Um, and B, <clears throat> there's no... There's no there's no telling what the new people will do, what the new leaders are going to do. They may make it better. Don't dismiss them because of the new ones. You know, they were going to do this um, at some point. Uh, they bought the company to do it their own way, to run it their own way. So don't dismiss that. Uh, just the human side of me felt bad for all those people who lost their jobs. Well said. And, and just the way it was handled, you know? Sure. 
Uh, I can't imagine. Say, I mean, I, I and people were asking me like, "Oh, you've never worked in the, in the real world." I worked for MMARated.com that was owned by the Wasserman Media Group, and uh, I, I put everything into that. That was my first job in MMA media in 2008. I was in San Jose covering a Strikeforce show. I get there, New York, San Jose. It's a long trip, and I get a G chat saying that we're all out of work tomorrow night. Friday night is our last day. I was there on a Thursday. And so I was like, what, what, you guys couldn't have told me before I left? What am I supposed to do at this event? And of course, I've told this story before about the Strike Force guys, uh, excuse me, the AKA guys losing their jobs, John Fitch and all that stuff. It was a weird time. But I, I've been there before. Someone buys your company. That time it happened right away. It, it was bought and we all were out of jobs. This time it was kind of a slow death. I think that was the unfortunate part of all. Or maybe that's the good thing they could have prepared. Who knows? But um, don't, don't be afraid. I mean, I, I think the UFC is going to be in a good spot. They, they, they paid a lot of money for this company. There's, uh, there's a lot of debt. They got to get back their debt. And I actually think that for the fans, it's a good thing because they're going to try to stack these cards. Look at 205. Look at 207. We know what they're trying to do with 206. They are going to try to stack these cards as much as possible to make as much money as possible uh, via pay-per-view to try to get back some of that money, you know, to try to limit, uh, you know, to, to, to try to end that debt. Uh, to try to get back into the black. So I actually think that if you look at it from a purely entertainment and fan standpoint, it's actually a positive for the UFC that they paid so much, excuse me, for the UFC fans that they paid so much for the company because they're going to try to put on the biggest and best events possible. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. They're not going to try to cut corners. They may actually limit the amount of events next year, but that to me equals a better experience and a better product for the fans because now you are stacking the deck. The cards are going to get better at that point and we're going to start missing the cards like what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. So I don't really necessarily think that there's all that much negative for the fans who just care about the product are concerned. For yeah. those that care about the business, the relationships, you know, the, the, the familiar faces, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, that leads to the next question. Are we going to see the roster take, take a trim I think well? so. And I don't think that the, the news last week that 13... <clears throat> or so fighters were released. I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah, that happens. Quite yeah, frequently. sometimes we get the news, sometimes we don't. It's hard to keep up with that. Um, but I, I do think that less events means less roster. Uh, you know, a smaller roster. Less roster I, spots. Yeah. I, yes, I also, I also believe, by the way, that there's a lot of fighters in the UFC who aren't UFC caliber. Who, you know, it would behoove them to go somewhere else, fight for someone else, build up their repertoire get a few more fights under their belt and then come I mean we've seen a lot of guys who you know six seven eight years ago just wouldn't be in the UFC so I actually think that less events is is a good thing as well and it's probably better for the competition too because then the competition has more fighters John Jones we've been hearing a lot about um his appointment uh coming up his 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 hearing date and uh that there was uh, you know I don't know if it was news was it reported um something about USADA um, finding that there was a contaminated substance. Um, I don't know if that was confirmed in news or if that was just uh, yeah. speculated. Uh, I think that was uh, Howard Jacobs on Luke Thomas's radio there show. There you go. <clears throat> um, so do, do, is, what impact is that going to have? Do you think we're going to see John Jones anytime soon? Or is it going to be a situation uh, like Yo Romero where they're going to give him a, a, a punishment uh, okay. You well, know, the, great, retroactive. Uh, the great unknown here is Nevada. So I think that the reason why John Jones delayed 
his Nevada Athletic Commission hearing that was supposed to happen earlier this month to next month, November 10th, is because he wanted to get this arbitration hearing out of the way. That's scheduled for a week from today, Halloween in Los Angeles. If it does actually happen, he will be the first UFC fighter to take USADA to arbitration. Now, he is facing from USADA a one-year suspension. He's hoping for no suspension, obviously. Uh, Howard Jacobs is one of the very best at what he does. If he gets a six-month suspension, remember, it is retroactive. So uh, it's dating back to... Actually, the test happened in June. It'll either happen... It'll either be you know dating back to June or July. But the point is, we're already three, four months in. Um, so if he gets a six-month suspension like a Yo Romero, he only has a couple months left. Yep. Nevada, though, plays by their own rules. They could give him a two-year suspension. They can... They can talk about his hit and run and say that you've shown no respect for this sport and commission who knows what they're going to do i mean they gave vanderlei a, a lifetime ban for not taking that test they gave chael a two-year ban for failing that test so i really don't know what they're going to do but i think it was important for them to get the arbitration hearing out of the way so hopefully nevada looks at what usada does and takes a cue i'm not that confident they're going to do that but worth a shot uh, and this is a, a, a Nevada Athletic Commission without Pat Lundvall, as Mark Ramundi told us at the top um, of the show. So in the past, Pat has been the one who has campaigned for stiffer penalties in all of them. So maybe that is a, a promising sign for John Jones. Timing couldn't have been better then, huh? Okay. Yeah. PFA, any update on that? Not a huge uh, update. I mean, I know that they've been going to a lot of gyms, talking to fighters. I know Leslie Smith has been doing a lot of work. It's not dead. Um, maybe it's not as gung-ho as it was when they started, but that's to be expected. I mean, you're going to come out and and you know try to make a splash and get people educated. Um, but I think that they're realizing that a lot of groundwork needs to be done, a lot of grassroots work needs to be done, and that involves going to gyms and talking to fighters. It's important to me, it's more important to go to gyms and talk to fighters than to go to events and talk to them while they're there for a UFC event, for a Bellator event, because they feel a little uncomfortable when they're at their you know, gym, hometown, there's no one around. That's when you're going to get a lot of work done. And I think they recognize that. It looks like we're going to get Dominic Cruz versus Cody Garbrandt. Yes. Any interest in following that Cruz versus Demetrius Johnson? No. Not at this point. There are too many great bantamweights now. You know, they're, they're, that division is way too interesting now. Dillashaw is in the mix. John Lineker is in the mix. There's still Aljamain Sterling out there. Rafael Sunsau is still out there. Uh, and there's just too many guys. Jimmy Rivera is out there. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, I think bantamweight is one of the most interesting divisions in the UFC. So uh, I like to see dominant champions, and that's what Demetrius is, and that's certainly what Dominic is becoming once again. And uh, I, I have no interest in seeing that. Would it revitalize Demetrius? Let's say, I mean, if he wins, obviously, I think it would, you know, give him a lot of, uh, of uh, shine. Um, but even if he loses, would it revitalize Demetrius a little bit and, and bring some shine to flyweight? Because while you're talking about bantamweight being, you know, absolutely ripe with contenders, flyweight, not so much. Yeah, I, I just, I, I want to see Dominic Cruz against Dillashaw sure. again against all it. these guys. So yeah, so do I. I feel like I saw that fight. Well, you did see that fight, but I think the circumstance. I mean, totally. I, I'm not gung ho about this fight, but I could see. I could see a reasonable reason to. Will I spit all over it? Uh, of course. Am I more interested in DJ versus Cruz than I am DJ versus the tough winner? 
Yeah, yeah. obviously. Or yeah. any other guy right now. Pretty I mean, much. Luis Smolka losing is a big blow because I thought he was going to be that next guy. There's still yeah. Wilson Hayes who probably deserves the shot because he was... Promised it. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think it's fair to the uh, the 135ers. Sure. This person is asking about bringing some games back. How do you feel about that? What the, games? The MMA hour. You know, we used to do the faces, no prizes, huh. just bringing games back. Uh, Lighten it up. It, geez, are we too early, serious these well, days? Well, earlier today, you're dogging Dave & Buster's, the, the yeah. game capital of the world, the greatest Listen, I was, uh, entertainment I was, uh, venue. I was trying to, you know, keep an open mind. I was trying to enjoy what, you know, I was trying to get on your level and <laughs> take an interest in your interests. But uh, how about we, we do learned. one right now? So we've got what's the game? We got twenty five minutes. Okay. Um, how about best for Faber? Maybe no shirt. Go no shirt. Did we have we done that before? I feel like we might have even Topless. done that. Yeah. Uh, sure. Let's do it. Yeah, in honor of Faber. In no honor of Faber. Nation. So send us your best your best no shirt nation now, are yeah. we just limiting this to males nope, or not at all okay all right we're open to babies. all babies well let's not get you know why in trouble with the with the government no like a little like eight month old boy with yeah but even I mean, cue with on. his diaper that's I love that that's where you're going no okay, come sorry. on sorry I know um, that came out that, a little that wrong definitely okay. came out wrong and what are you getting what's the prize no we're just gonna feature them at the that's end of the it. show so you're gonna talk to Matt Brown during that time I'm gonna collect some of the best ones okay we'll feature them at the end of the show in honor of Uriah Faber we are now accepting and in honor of this person uh, Sebi Militor um, <laughs> sure I hope I'm oh, hello from Romania Greetings. And I hope that he... Salutations. And, and how can people submit these pictures? Uh, hashtag... Yes. The MMA Hour. Yes. Hashtag No Shirt Nation. That's it. And include the picture. Oh, and wow. include the picture. Let's see him. See him, baby. I want to see you at work. No shirt. Represent. Yes. Do, the, do this for But there's got to be a reason. I mean, we... Uh... What do you mean? Oh, what? No, you get, to, you get some shine on the MMA Hour. Come on. That's enough. We have some swag. Yeah, maybe we can get send him some swag. We'll, we'll send what about you... this World Series of Fighting John Fitch Sign Club? Okay, he's or got a how fight about coming this? up in, how about in December? This, uh, box of cards from Tops that we always feature. Let's do that. All right, Tops is going to hook you up. We're going to get you that box of cards. Yeah, best submission wins. And if there's only one submission, guess what? You win too. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, I am going to get our next guest. Well, we still got a couple more minutes. Okay, I'll give some updates yeah, while yeah. you do that. Shane Carwin update. Uh, he spoke to the uh, Ryzen promotion out of Japan. There is interest there. There has been some talks of him fighting for them maybe later this year, perhaps against the Fedor Emelianenko. Tweeted out a picture of their gloves, but uh, but nothing is official just yet. So we'll see. He's talked to a bunch of promotions. He would be a nice fit for them, I think, because, you know, he's big heavyweight, got a fun style. I feel like the Japanese would like Shane Carwin, especially against Fedor. That's a fun one. So look out for that. Uh, it was reported last week by us that Gunnar Nelson is out of the Dong Young Kim fight uh, November 19th in Belfast, Northern Ireland. The new main event is Gegard Musasi versus Uriah Hall 2, which is interesting because Gegard was on our show last week saying that he would love that fight, even if it doesn't make a ton of sense ranking-wise. UFC hasn't announced that either. Um, I don't know why they're sitting on these announcements. Maybe they're waiting for the the dust to settle and uh, they can then announce it and make a big splash. I don't know. I, I, I don't. Maybe maybe the person who's in charge of that is, is no longer at the company. I have no idea. But that's what I'm told. November 19th, 
Musasi versus Hall is a damn good main event. I mean, it's not Gunner who has the connection to Ireland, who, of course, trains at SBG, but Musasi versus Hall is a damn good main event. I saw some people complaining about that. Come on. Damn good main event. Um, and Musasi is active, and he gets to run that one back. And also, most importantly for him, he gets to fight around when the other top middleweights are fighting. Weidman Romero fighting November 12th. Rockhold Jacare fighting November 26th in Australia. So it's good to keep him active around that time as well, in my opinion. Talked about Johnny Hendricks, Neil Magny. That has been added to 207. That is one of many interesting fights. Also, Brandon Thatch has been added to that card as well. So we'll see about Johnny Hendricks and his retirement statement. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, Dominic Cruz expected to be officially announced for that in the coming days as well. Uh, last Monday night, I reported that uh, Jordan Meehan, remember him? He retired, youngster, coming back. He's fighting Emil Mech on December 10th on that UFC 206 card that hopefully can be salvaged by GSP's presence on it. I know Daniel Cormier wants GSP. Kudos to Daniel Cormier for being in a really tough spot. The day after GSP's interview on this show, Daniel Cormier is doing media in Toronto and everyone's asking him about the GSP situation. Um, kudos to him for actually, you know, t- saying what's on his mind and saying that, look, it would be good business for me to have GSP on the card. Um, you know, I don't want this card to be forgotten about. It is sandwiched right now between 205 and 207. And it's a tough spot for everyone involved. You know, <laughs> here, here you have a situation where 205 is going to kill. It's going to make a ton of money. 207 is going to kill. It's going to make a ton of money. And you have 206, which is in the same month as 207. So you're asking people to spend $120 if they're buying the HD broadcast on pay-per-view, it's a big ask, especially when you have a card which isn't all that stacked. You know, there's there's no real reason for people to go out of their way to buy that one. They saw the main event already. I'm not saying the same thing is going to happen. I'm not saying that something crazy won't happen. I mean, that's a great fight. And there are some good fights on the card. Cub Swanson versus the Korean Superboy and Emil Mech versus Jordan Meehan, among many others. But that one's in a tough spot being sandwiched between the two. So I know DC, who also gets pay-per-view points, is hoping that that one gets done as well. He would stand to gain a heck of a lot. Now, speaking of UFC 207, another uh, great fight that was added to that card as well. Tarek Safadine versus Matt Brown has been added to that card. What a card uh, it is turning into. And now we are being joined by the immortal one himself, Matt Brown. Matt, how are you? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. So what was your reaction when you got the call that you were going to fight on this Ronda Rousey card against Tarek Safadine? Was he on your radar? Was that card on your radar? What did you think when you got that call? To be honest, I mean, I, I was coming off two losses, man. I had no idea who they might have given me. So I, I was just pretty open to whatever, you know, kind of felt like I was at the mercy of the matchmakers. And, um, you know, I'm, it's cool, you know, a fight to fight. So, you know, Tarek's a very, very good guy, a very, very tough guy to beat. So, um, you know, it's going to test test me and it's going to take everything I got. Being at, quote unquote, the mercy of the matchmakers, is that uh, an uncomfortable position to be in for you? Um, I guess not really, because it's not like I've ever really turned down a fight anyway. So yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a huge deal, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe if they threw me, some, you know, some 
something I really didn't want. I, I didn't have much room to negotiate, I don't think. Um, don't feel like it. Sure, of course. And, and, and around a week ago, you put out that picture, that screen grab of the Joe Silva email, but you crossed out the, uh, the opponent. Did you, I mean, you, we, uh, one, one report out in Brazil was that you were fighting Mike Perry. Of the names thrown out, the guesses thrown out, was there an option that you liked better than Tarek Seftin? Like, it came your way and you're like, ah, oh, I kind of like that fight more than the one that I'm getting. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean, really. I mean, that was, the, that was the fight they gave me, so I just took it. They didn't, um, they didn't offer any other fights or anything. <laughs> Normally they would. Normally, you know, Joe has many times said, you know, would you rather fight this guy, this guy, or this guy? And he knows I always go for the highest ranked or highest profile guy. And, uh, you know, this time it was just said, uh, you know, that, that was the email right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that was it. That was it. That was the entire conversation, except for me saying yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, my 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 question was like a lot of people were speculating who this person was, the name that you crossed out, and so I was wondering if you saw any of these these guesses, and you were like, oh, I kind of like this idea better, and you thought about bringing. You, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people were trying to guess who that opponent was. I guess I, I don't really get into the ideas of yeah fights as much as uh, just fights. <laughs> Put me in there, put another guy on the other side, and let's go. I don't care who he is. Um, after UFC 201, did you take a break mentally, physically? Did you feel like you needed to take a break to recharge and to get your head in the right the right space? I, I absolutely did. I, this was, uh, I've said it a few times, This that was the first time in my entire life that I've been dropped with a headshot. Uh, in sparring um, at all, at, you know, any time in my life, even street fights, anything, so... I, I just I wanted to learn from everybody else's mistakes. I see people all the time coming back real soon, and they, and they end up saying, you know, maybe they shouldn't have. Um, of course, you see the the boxers, you know, that, that's been well documented for years. The issues they've had with uh, concussions and brain injuries. So I took some time off, and I've done some things that are the best things that I can do to try to keep my brain as healthy as it can be for as long as it can be, and hopefully come back, you know, with these injuries healed up and have a fresh camp and, and be ready to perform at a higher level. And, uh, ideally, yeah, that equates to a win. You know, sometimes it doesn't, but, um, I just want to be healthy and fresh and have a strong mind coming in. And that's all I can ask out of myself. Uh, what were some of the things that you did to, to keep your brain healthy? Um, uh, probably the main thing outside of not far was uh, I've been doing a ketogenic diet, which is kind of, getting a little bit more popular in the mainstream these days. Um, it was uh, originally a cure for epilepsy, and there's a lot of research in the past, I don't know, 10, 5 or 10 years, you know, for, for cancer and diabetes and all these things. And one of the things that I, I was reading about was it, it's helped with TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury. So I'm like, hey, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? And since I've done the diet, I've absolutely just loved it and fell in love with it and could talk about it all day long, but I won't bore you with all the details. But uh, that was one of the things. And then uh, not sparring as much. Um, and then I, I do some uh, uh, some games on the, um, the computer, you know, like to help the reaction times and stuff. And uh, just little things like that, you know, it's just uh, uh, play puzzles, even like, you know, Sudoku or Sudoku, however you say it. Yeah. You know, just things like that, you know, just constantly keeping the brain working. It's a, you know, I, I treat it like a muscle, like any other. It has to be exercised to stay strong. 
Um, did you see the story last week that Jordan Parsons, who uh, tragically passed away in that uh, hit and run car accident, was diagnosed with CTE after they examined his brain? Did you read about that? I've I seen the story. I did not get to read any details. Well, he was just 25 and only, you know, only had one loss. And this wasn't a guy who has been in wars or anything like that, pretty young in his career. That was kind of scary to read, you know, and thinking about some of the older guys in the sport. I was just wondering if you read that and, and if it, you know, affected you at all. You, you know, I, I plan on reading it. I think I put it on my uh, little list of things to read or whatever. Um, you know, I, man, that, I mean, that's a perfect example. You know, these, I mean, kids die of concussions in high school football every year. And, uh, of course, we see, you know, the Meldrick Taylors and the Muhammad Ali's, you know. And I think that's probably the biggest indicator, you know, when you see the, those guys. I mean, uh, Meldrick Taylor is one of my favorite boxers of all time. And when you look at what happened to him after he fought Chavez, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just as it's, it's tragic as it gets. And, of course, he fought more fights after. And, I mean, just listening to a guy like him with so much talent, gold medal, a boxer, just a you know flashy young guy that had all the potential in the world, and it all just went away from you know probably uh, gym wars and you know just a lot a lot of different things like that. But you know I have kids and you know, I want to be able to speak in sentences to them. I had a concussion last year for the first time in my life, and I tell you, man, it's, it's no fun. I had a serious concussion, you know, real wow you know, concussion, and. Uh, you know, I wasn't finishing sentences to my kids sometimes. Uh, I actually fell over. Uh, that was when my wife made me go to the, the doctor. Uh, I literally, like, got up and fell down. And, yeah, you know, and you start, you know, things like that happen. You're like, man, this, yeah, this sport's real. This ain't, a, this ain't just fun and games and, and a paycheck anymore. Um, how did you get the concussion? Was it as a result of a fight or through training? No, it was a fight. Um um, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a fight. So, you know, I, I don't like to really um, talk about it too much. But the thing is, you know, if I, if I, if it's one of the fights I lost, and if I, I don't want it to be an excuse for losing, you know, so, um, so I'm, I haven't really mentioned it a whole lot, but, but since then, you know, now I, I, I'm starting to see all the, uh, uh, the ways to help your brain and, and learning about how to uh, minimize the risk of concussion. But that's why I like to talk about it, to bring it up and, and tell people, you know, uh, show other people that it can be done. You know, I've had uh, 22 fights now, I think, in the UFC, you know, and I've taken care of myself very well. So, you know, I'd like to be an example for, uh, for younger up-and-coming fighters that, you know, you can have a long career in this sport uh, by taking care of yourself. Yeah, and, and I should know just to correct myself that Jordan Parsons had two loss only uh, two losses only knocked out once in his career. Still very uh, surprising to read that. Um, I'm wondering for you who who taught you about this 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 method to keep your brain healthy? Like who showed you that? Who opened the door for you and and explained that this was you know important for you to do to to remain healthy? Uh, well, various sources, but the, you know the original. Uh, the thought process came from myself. Um, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, w w once I had it, I never thought about it in my life until I had my own concussion. I always thought that, uh, I guess I was one of those old school, you know, I'm a slow learner. I was an old school dummy, you know, and you'd hear about concussions. I'd be like, oh, you're just being a pussy, you know, and, and uh, you know, people having headaches and I'd be like, oh, just go train, you know, what's your problem? And uh, But then when I had one myself, I, I thought, man, this is, 
a real thing. So, yeah, I just started doing my own research. Of course, the first person I talked to was my sports doctor uh, when I actually was diagnosed with my first concussion. Um, and I've done a lot of research since. Uh, the guy that helped me most with the ketogenic diet, which is, for me, has been a fantastic help to my brain. Um, the, that was uh, his name's Paul Falcone. He, he's a scientist at Muscle Farm. So, uh, you know, uh, again, I thank them so much for uh, providing us with the recovery tools that they provide us. Um, but outside that, I mean, uh, there's a, a place I go to called Neuroperformance Training. Um, uh, of course, the Cleveland Clinic does their thing, um, which I was a part of when it started. I, I need to go back. I need to hit them up and go back soon. But, yeah, and, and I do a lot of my own research. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily like to rely on others for for information. I always right. uh, do it myself. Um, you know, you've been in this sport for a very long time, uh, over a decade now. Looking back on the things that you did when you were younger, less educated, are are you mad at yourself? Or are you recall like being like, oh man, I, I was I was too hard headed, I was a dummy, I, I didn't listen to my body. Like, does it does it bother you that you didn't know as much as you did now about you know health and how to treat your brain? Well, it, it doesn't bother me. I don't hold it over my head or anything. I don't hold it against myself, so to speak. Um, I don't have any regrets for anything I've done. A little different of me than most people in the sport was that I didn't come into the sport till I was like 24 years old. You know, when you look on my record, uh, I think I was 24 years old, 23 or 24. If you look on my record on uh, you know, Sure Dog or whatever, my first amateur fight, like that was when I the first stepped in a gym. Like I, I had fights before I'd even been in a gym, but the first one I was on record on amateur was like, I stepped in a gym like a week or two before that. Wow. So I haven't been, I haven't been taking the, uh, the damage, you know, a lot of kids, even in, you know, wrestling or, you know, boxing, whatever kind of sport they were in, they were taking damage years before that. I was only taking damage to, uh, you know, whatever kind of damage drugs do to you. <laughs> it was a little bit different, not impactful, sure. not high impact damage. So I didn't play high school football or anything like that. So I think for me, it was a little bit different. Um, in that regard, but but I never would look back and 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 uh, and, and regret anything I did because I, I think I've done a great thing coming from nothing, uh, a low life, you know, headed for prison or, or dead or whatever to becoming a you know close to a champion so far in the UFC, um, and I still plan on being a champion in the UFC. So I'm happy with everything I've done so far, and I don't have any regrets. I remember being at that fight in Atlanta back in July when uh, Jake Ellenberger, who was kind of going through his own struggles as a fighter, you know, he, he he finished you, and it was shocking because, like you said, we've never seen you in that position before. It was relatively quick. Emotionally, how did you deal with the loss? Uh, that was probably emotionally the, the toughest loss in my career. And I'll tell you what my my reasoning is that I always – uh, wins and losses have never really been a huge thing to me. It's never really like the, the primary focus. Uh, I just want to do the best I can, be happy with myself on Sunday because I know I gave it all that I had, win or lose. That one, I just I didn't feel I give it all I had. I, I think I took it way for granted. I didn't show Jake enough respect. Uh, you know, I learned the hard way. You know, the 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 hard thing about this sport is, you know, a bad day at the office, you know, can be like that. You know, where are you? You know, where it's a really bad day, right? So, um, you know, so I mentally, that was the, the 
the, the first time I, I think in my career that I've ever had a mental slip up like that where I just didn't respect my opponent, was overconfident, um, and I, I don't like that out of myself. So I have to go back and change that, and um, I plan on doing that, you know. So I don't know if I'm going to win my next fight or not, but uh, I know that I'm going to have a lot of respect for my opponent. I'm going to come in uh, better than I've ever been before, and that's all I can ask out of myself. Wow, well, I appreciate you being so honest about that. I, I don't think a lot of people would, would admit that. So did you just not train as much? Were you just like, ah, Jake Ellenberger's washed up, I'm going to roll right through this guy? You know, I actually, I, I trained pretty good. I mean, I, like, I had a lot of injuries, but I always train good just because I just can't help but get in there and train every day. But I, like in the fight, I mean, normally, you know, like, a, uh, you know, I stare at my opponent pretty hard and I get pretty pumped up, but... I kept looking at him like, man, like, why is this guy even in here with me? Like, I'm just going to walk through this guy. And then and I, I'm sure, you know, if you remember the fight, uh, he, he knocked me down right away. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that you got one, okay. And then I walked up with my hands down. I've never, I never put my hands down like that. So I just thought, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why it was, but it's not going to happen again is all I know. Um and when you got to the back, when you got home, how did you deal with that? How did you handle that? Knowing that you probably didn't give it your all as far as, you know, giving him the credit that he deserves. Like, did you need to take a break from the sport? Did you, did you not train for a couple of weeks emotionally? How did you deal with it? And mentally, you know, I, I dealt with it really tough. It was a really tough one. And, uh, you know, I probably felt like Ronda Rousey and wanted to kill myself, which is after every loss, you know, we're not, we're all the same. We all want to want to do it. But, um, but you know what? I had to. I got kids, man. I got three kids. You know, I had to come home, be a role model to them. So I had to get up the next morning and make breakfast and show them that no matter how many times you get kicked down, you get your ass back up and do it again. Do you really feel that way? You know, that that's a pretty drastic thing to say. Um, does that really cross your mind? What's that? Saying that you want to kill yourself? Well, uh, my point, I, I guess, is you really do feel like you want to kill yourself. Like you feel like that low yeah. of a person. Like you, you know what I mean? When you, you just, you, know, you get beat up like that in front of, uh, you know, millions of people, your friends and family. And, you know, I, I mean, it's not right to feel that way and you shouldn't feel that way, but you do feel that way. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunately, um, you know, I'm mature enough to be able to, um, handle those feelings and, and, uh, you know, not act on them, obviously, but, um, yeah, of course, I mean, that, that, I guess it's more of an expression that you sure. really do feel, feel that, uh, that low at that time. Um, and so, okay. So, so, so you have that and you have to go home to your family. Like you said, make breakfast and things like your, your, your oldest sons, they are twins. How old are they? Uh, they're six years old now. Are they at the point where they ask you, of course they ask you, I'm sure, did you win or lose? Do they do they kind of understand what you do now, and is is how do you explain to them that you didn't win and what happened, or do you try to like keep that away from them? No, I, I talk to them about it uh, completely, and that so that, again, like when you talk about like the the sadness of losing, the tragedy. Yeah, I have to tell my kids. Yeah, daddy didn't do it. They see the black eye. They see the you know the marks on the wrist, or you know they they see the cuts. All they see all that stuff. Right? So I have to explain to them, and then. You know, sometimes you hear them say things uh, like, like, you know, oh, you know, uh, oh, you're going to fight. I hope you win because you didn't win last time. Or, you know, you know, they don't understand that, the, you know, if an adult said it, you'd, be, you'd get pissed, right? But it's a kid. So, 
Um, yeah, that's a very difficult thing. But, you know, uh, again, it's all about teaching them the lessons. I think there's a, obviously there's a lesson you, you can teach your, your children out of any uh, situation that arises in life. So this is, just happens to be a great way to teach them a lesson. You know, sometimes you're going to get knocked down, but you always get back up and keep moving forward. Right. Um, did you tell the UFC that like you will tell them when you're ready to come back or did they come to you? Like, how did you decide that, okay, I'm ready to accept the fight. I'm ready to get back in there. Uh, you know, I've, I've been around the UFC for long enough. Me and Joe still have a, a good relationship. And, um, you know, back in the day, they would just call me and say, this is who you're fighting. This is when you're fighting. Them. Um, so now I, I, you know, I have some tenure and I, I called Joe and said, look, you know, I, this is a, my personal timeline, and if, if that works for you, I appreciate it. If not, just let me know so, so I can figure it out. And he was totally cool with it, so it worked out. That uh, that back and forth is going to come to an end. Are you going to be sad when Joe leaves? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I just I hope Joe as a person is, uh, is happy and lives a uh, fulfilling life and everything. That's an important thing, but I don't have any idea how it's going to change, so I don't know if I'll be happy or sad from a business perspective. That's true. That's true. Um, and so you 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 have this important fight. You've lost uh, two in a row now. Do you feel like this is do or die for you? I mean, you've been there before. You've stared at a three fi- four-fight losing streak, and you've overcome that. Does this feel reminiscent of where you were a few years back? Uh, you know, it does. Yeah, it brings back some old memories, you know, and not, not, not the, the good kind. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm just going to – I always say that I look at each fight as my first fight and my last fight. Um, but that's always – you know, I, I, uh, that was another one, I guess, with Alan Berger. Like, I didn't really uh, have that mentality going in. I think I came in like it was a uh, like a stepping stone, you know. I, I look, that's how I looked at him was a stepping stone. Like, as if they put him in there for me to just get back on the um, winning track just to be a W on my resume and get rid of him as what I was assuming. Um, so now, yeah, I have to change that mentality back, man. And I have to really, uh, um, practice what I preach here. And this is going to be my first fight. This is going to be my last fight. So, mm. um, you know, January 1st or December 31st, we'll see what happens from there, but I have no plans beyond December 30th right now. So, so if I ask you, like, perfect world, how many fights would you like to fight, you know, before you move on, you can't even answer that? I, well, I could answer that. So, I'm not, when I do say that, like, I, you know. Yeah. And if it, was, if it was a true thing, you know, like, December 30th was my um, last fight, like, I would change a lot of things. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I want to, uh, no, I, I want to have uh, the most fights in the UFC. I know this thing, probably, I think, has the record now. Um, you know, I'd like to have over 30 fights. Uh, you know, I, I want to keep going till, till I can't go no more. That's the, my goal. And I want it to be in the UFC, though, and I want to be um, at the top level. It can't be, you know, having, you know, a, a bunch of fights on the fight path, <laughs> you know, fighting debut fighters because I can't beat, uh, beat the top 10. So, I, you know, I have to make sure that that, that is fulfilled also. Are you going to do anything differently from a training perspective for this fight to get back on track? Uh, yeah, I'm going yeah, to train a little smarter and train a little harder. Okay. So I'm trying to do, every, so I'm trying to do every single fight. So, uh, But, you know, I, I, mean, I feel better, too, this time. So I think uh, the ability to train smarter and harder will be there. Um, one last thing for you, Matt. And again, I really appreciate your honesty. It's, uh, you know, you've always been that way, so this is no surprise. But 
I appreciate you talking about some maybe not so pleasant things. Um, earlier in the show, Uriah Faber announced that he's going to retire in December, that his fight on December 17th is going to be his last fight. And I'm reminded of what you told me in Atlanta prior to 201, saying that you kind of consider yourself, uh, you know, last of the Mohicans, uh, a dying breed, so to speak, in the UFC. How many of your kind do you think are left? Do you think that you're the only one left? Do you think that there are like two or three left? It, the things are changing. It's sort of a new era coming into play here with the new ownership and fighters retiring. Do you, do you, do you think about that sort of thing? And do you have any idea like how many are like you left? Uh, there's definitely some like me left, that's for sure. Um, yeah, sometimes I say shit that I don't even know why I say it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do kind of feel that way. Like, you know, there's not, you know, there's a lot of prima donnas coming in and everybody, you know, everybody wants to get on Twitter and talk about things instead of just fighting back. You know, I, I really, I, I'm kind of a traditionalist, you know, I, I really liked back in the day when, when, you know, it was, uh, you know, guys would just fight, man. And that's what it was about. It was about the fight. And it wasn't about the hype and, and the talk. And, you know, I, I really love that. You know, I'm kind of a purist for the sport and, you know, so that's you know, that's kind of kind of what I was alluding to, I guess. But I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I guess you know, I sit there and talk about it, but I don't know. I didn't put enough thought into it to really be be out there saying it in public either. So I don't know. Well, let me ask you this then: Is it important for you to stick around to teach the younger generation how it should be? Like, do you, do you take that responsibility? Well, I got you know, I got to. I gotta be intelligent too. You know what happens a lot of times with people that try to do that is, you know, they don't evolve, right? They don't. Uh, you know, the new breed has something to teach us too. So, um, you know, I want to stick with the times and not be caught up in the old school way of doing things. And uh, you know, but I, yeah, I do feel a responsibility to pass my knowledge. Um, you know, the idea of, of getting things is so you have something to give. So, you know, I do want to give back to the community and be a uh, I like to be a role model, you know, for the younger generation and, and have something to give to them. And, but, but that's not a static thing. It's not, you know, you just have something to give. And I say, you know, you got to keep developing yourself too. So, um, I'm not going to be that old school guy, you know, acting like that, you know, like, I think, uh, I think you, you guys, you guys, what I'm, what yeah. I'm say. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I certainly hope there's a lot of young fighters reaching out to you for advice. Cause, uh, Lord knows you could teach them a thing or two about this fight game. I hear your youngest uh, in the background, so I will let you go, Matt. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for the honesty and uh, the candor. Really, really uh, appreciated you coming on. So uh, I wish you the best of luck in training and looking forward to your fight against Tarek Safadine on December 30th. Good luck to you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, sir. All right, there he is, Matt Brown. Wow, great stuff from him. And again, no surprise there. Uh, always been one of the most honest and interesting interviews, especially later on in his career, uh, even when he was winning and, and, and on that impressive winning streak and got to the Robbie Lawler fight a couple of years ago in San Jose, um, has always been a fascinating interview. So when I heard that he was coming back and fighting Tarek Safdin, which should be a great fight style-wise, I mean, on paper, that's a fantastic fight. I uh, thought it would be good to have him on and very happy that we did that. All right, that does it for today's interviews. Uh, Mr. New York Rick, did we, did we get anything or was it uh, not enough time for the people to come through? Well, we got stuff, my we friend. We did? Yeah, what do you mean? I mean, I expected, you know, we, you announced this like 25 minutes ago, so I wasn't expecting much, to be honest. Hold on. I just got to get them up on the screen. Perhaps I, uh, 
I didn't give our, our viewers enough credit. Well, what's wrong with you? The people always come through. Any good ones? All right, we're going to go through them now. Hold okay, on. Okay, here we go. Anything that's ah, NS. Go. Oh, there, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, you asked for it. He just happened to get his vaccines done today. Well done. This is at the doctor's office. No shirt nation. How about that? Alex Conway. That's a good one. Look at this little cute guy. And little angel with those little chubby legs. I just want to take a bite. Don't, do not do baby talk Come on, on air right I just now. Want to <laughs> <laughs> do not. Look at that little. You know what's my favorite thing? The bracelet, as my mom likes to call it. The wrist. You see the wrist right there? Yeah. The, that's called the bracelet. There's nothing better the than the bracelet. The little fold? Yeah, the little fold is just uh. amazing. I can eat it all day. <laughs> what? I love the fold. There's oh, wait, wait. Be- I, oh. Went oh. no, no, I went the wrong way. I went the wrong way. No shirt nation. You're Get out of here. See, now, I love Steve. I know Steve. I've met Steve many, many, many times. Really, really good dude. Met him in Vegas. uh, Met him in Chicago. Comes to Glory. uh, Comes to Invicta. Fantastic dude. But you're disqualified for this one because this photo's old. You can't use an old photo. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But is it legit? Oh, that's him. For sure. Okay, so I've met Steve as well. Shark Attack 316 on Twitter. And I could tell that he is jacked. In fact, when I saw him him at uh, 203 in Cleveland... I was like, oh man, you're on the TRT. He looked jacked. <laughs> I didn't know he was this kind of jacked. Well, this is from 2008, but I mean, he's still pretty. First of all, he shouldn't have said shape. the year. He could have lied. He could have told us 2014 and we would have believed it. Yeah, maybe. No, but I don't know. So Shark Attack 316 was a professional bodybuilder? It's looking like it. I mean, he's definitely, he's got the physique there. Holy but smokes. for today's game, unfortunately... This does not. This does not fly. I th- I think it it no, flies. Sorry, higher than them all. Disqualified. All right. Got to take it. It has to be now. Has to be right Do this moment. Do you think that he would admit to us if he was on the juice? I don't know. I mean, he's got to be on the. I mean, look at that. Okay, what do we got? Doc, a doctor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be true. I, I think. Where Sebastian did it go? Did, wait. Uh, hold on. Did we lose it? No, no, no. I'll get it back up. Here we go. Um, I started this. So here you go, doctor at work. What does he mean by he's, I started this? He's the one who su- suggested the question. Oh, from from the this website. This is the guy now from he's Romania. To, he's got to win, right? Oh no, but we can't. Se- I can't send you anything in Romania, Sebastian. I'm sorry. Okay, is he really a doctor at work? I mean, first of all, it's got to be like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night in Romania. If you have a U.S. mailing address, you're gonna win this, Sebastian. If you don't, wait. What if there's a better one? No, this is the last one. Oh. <laughs> if you don't, then the baby wins. You know what? We should probably send the baby something anyway, baby right? Should, I mean, we should give him a onesie, an MMA hour onesie, something like that. Um, and here's the last one. Sean yes. Sheehan yes. likes the return of the pose, so we're gonna flash back to the last time we did this. I asked if we did this before. It turns out we have. We have. 2013 over three years ago april 2013 oh yeah that's amazing with the same hashtag with the same hashtag but he's not he's not shirtless shirtless. i think at the time we were doing you had to pose like them uh Um, so he had the little hair band band. yeah yeah yeah. this is my effort at the you know it's the funny thing about this he has two retweets now all of a sudden he's this media darling the pride of Limerick. He's hosting his own podcast. I mean, I remember when Dana White went to Trinity College and he was talking about Conor McGregor for the first time or people were asking him and I started to retweet Sean. He was just a kid there and now look what he's become. Look at this Little media Sean, giant all, all that I've created. Up. I mean, I should take all Even the credit I'm for not it. not that much older than him. He's writing breakdowns. He's all over the place doing interviews. I mean, where's my props? Oh God, you're so self-serving. <laughs> Enough. So wait, sick. how did you find this though? 
same hashtags. So it, it there's the only that many. Time, yeah, the, the last time was back in 2013. Well, what you thought we got a thousand new ones? I thought, yeah, you got me all excited. Um, no, but okay, let's do this. Alex Conway. Yes. Email me, New York Rick at gmail.com. Yes. Sebastian, yes. if you have a U.S. mailing address, email me, New York Rick at gmail.com. Thank you for submissions today. Also, can I lick your baby's legs? I'm just joking. What? I'm just joking. What is going on here? There's nothing better. Let me tell you, there's nothing better when my kids, when they give you the kiss, but sometimes, like yesterday, my son gave me open mouth kiss. It's fantastic. Yes. Now, that's your son. Is this you're, Now you're asking to lick some other person's baby's legs. I think, all right, that's it, folks. He's reached delirium. I have reached we, delirium. We got to get out of here. Um, Any father out there knows what I'm talking about. Yes, but not on somebody else's baby. Well, you know, this I'm just talking where... about in, in generalities. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, thank you for these. We'll try and have more fun uh, with some of yes. these in future shows I, as well. I, I do think it's time we brought back the picks. And I also think it's time we brought mm-hmm. back Rick's picks. And I don't know how we could do that. I mean, yeah. I've actually recommended this, but you're like, oh, it's too much work. It's too it's much work. It's a lot work. of work. I, I kept what about for 205? Is it possible for 205? Ooh, that's, Is I there mean, anything that can be done? Speaking of 205. Yes. Don't forget. I, I want this. Oh, yeah. The, you uh, know. Preview. You know what's funny about 205? The entire MMA fighting team is coming to New York for that. Yeah, They're I'm, not all covering it. So I'm getting everyone being like, can I be on the beat? Can I do yeah, this? Can I do let that? Em. I want one thing that I've been campaigning for since the start. Mm. And I want it. We should do one of those Twitter polls. I don't know how to do those Twitter polls. <laughs> Are you serious? But it's very easy. <laughs> I haven't figured it out. I want it. Yeah. I want it. Well, you could do, I mean, I see you popping up on these, you know, low-rent podcasts. Oh, you stop get someone it. else. <laughs> stop it. Uh, all right. That's it. Okay. Oh, we're done. Yeah. One more thing. Glory 34, we were talking about it. Yes. Replace tomorrow, ESPN 2, hmm. 9 p.m. It's weird. I was looking through the guide yesterday. Yeah, forget it. 9 p.m. tomorrow. <laughs> ESPN too. Uh, last things. Welcome back, Alexis Davis. She returns against Sarah McMahon at the tough finale December 3rd in Las Vegas. Welcome back, Korean Zombie. His military duties yeah. are up. He's back. He is free. I'm told by his manager that he is uh, hoping to return in March. He's talking about BJ Penn. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, welcome back. Welcome back, Dan Henderson. What do I mean? What do, what do I mean? Well, he's already talking about a trilogy and said he would be back. So how about that? And finally, welcome back, Bill Goldberg. What a great promo that was on Monday Night Raw. Uh, I did watch it. And I have to say, the way he hugged those kids and talked about his own kids brought a tear to my eye. Absolutely. Bill Goldberg, a true mensch. You can my music. Wait, 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 wait. Steve, former NPC champion. (laughs) Incredible. Sebastian, legitimately a doctor in the doctor. How do you know? He sent us an updated picture. What's he doing at the office at 11? He's got the, he's got the little, is it a Halloween uh, costume? No, stop. And, uh, one more Scott, uh, our buddy Sky Beards. Yeah. It's amazing. Here he is. (laughs) He looks a lot more professional with that pose. Yeah. No, I mean, he's no shirt nation, but who knows if he's in the U S we'll take care of him. Anyway. Thank you. Peace out. Peace. And again, thank you to our friend who hooked us up with these hats. What's his name again? Hayden Noreen. Hayden Noreen. Up in Canada. HDMH. Good dude. Go Jays. You can hit my music. Fun show, everyone. Thank you very much. I have to say, uh, 
mixed emotions about Uriah Faber. I mean, on the one hand, here he is, his way, as Frank Sinatra once said, again, I, I have so much respect for fighters who know when to say when, who, who recognize a moment, a perfect way to go out. It's a beautiful thing. But it does kind of feel like the end of an era. This, this guy put the lighter weights on the map. This guy was the face of WEC. He carried that company on his back. I mean, he was big business for that organization when there were, there were no sub-155ers in the UFC. And for a while, there were no sub-170-pounders in the UFC. Uh, he was the one guy who didn't need... You know, there were a few, I think, of Mayhem Miller as well, but one of very few who didn't need the Zufa machine, or the UFC machine, I should say, to push him, to get people behind him. So incredibly well-liked, so good with the media, so good with the fans. His fights always produced, never a boring fight. First ever, only WC pay-per-view. Comes on this show, doesn't tell anyone, and then announces his retirement. Wow, what a moment. What an honor. What a privilege that was. Really was. Well done, your eye favor. Not to say that we won't see him around for a long time. He's going to be around this sport, developing new talent. And the thing I always respected most about Uriah Faber was that he always pushed his guys and girls. He always pushed his teammates. No matter the platform, no matter the circumstances, coming off a loss, a win, always was a great leader and captain. Well done. Congrats on a great career. Thank you very much to Randy Couture, Marlon Moraes, Kevin Ferguson Jr., Uriah Faber, Michelle Watterson, and Matt Brown. Tremendous stuff as always. And thank you to you for checking us out once again this week. Back next week, same time, place, still here. Peace. Sabadia.